Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on social media at Galen Trombley. I hope you enjoy the show. Greetings. Please hold for a very important message. Light speed sequence initiated. How may I help you? Bonjour. Security breach. The truth shall set you free. <laughs> awesome. It's a miracle. Mission complete. Thank you. Have a nice day. And then we're good to go. Uh, welcome, everybody. Episode 239, Galen Trombley Show. Uh, guest today, Casey McLean. I've known Casey for a pretty good while now at this point. Um, I thought you were a returning guest. This is actually your first appearance, which, again, memory is terrible. But um, I think this will be fun. I just read through his questionnaire. And I have a lot of questions already, but we'll get through all the boring stuff first. We'll talk about like all the work and all that backstory, but then we'll have some fun. So Casey, for people who do not know you, who are you? How'd you get here? How'd you get from Brazier Falls? Uh, yeah, so that was a long story. So uh, I actually grew up, um, well, both my parents growing up were uh, both United Methodist ministers, which is something probably not a lot of people know about me, uh, especially if they know me well. It's a hard time for them to grasp that I came from any kind of a religious background. Um, so, you know, they uh, I moved around a lot. Uh, they had several different churches they were in charge of, so we moved from parsonage to parsonage based on you know where they were uh, currently uh, preaching. So uh, yeah, I grew up in Brazier Falls, um, lived there for several years, moved to another town called Nickelville, New York, which is also a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere. It's basically would be the flyover of northern New York area. You know, if you're going from like Plattsburgh to uh, Potsdam, okay. you would drive through it. That kind of situation. Um, really small town. Uh, ended up, um, you know, lived there for quite a while. Uh, ended up going to uh, Norwich University. Um, you know, I kind of realized in my my high school career that I could go to, you know, several different schools. Um, the only problem was that I knew if I didn't go to some place that had some kind of enforced discipline that I would probably not graduate. Okay. Uh, so I went to a military school by my own choice, not a, not a decision somebody else made. Uh, went to Norwich, graduated from Norwich with a degree in communications, uh, which had nothing to do with any industry I've ever worked in, which is, you know, fantastic. Um, left Norwich, I uh, moved over to Plattsburgh, uh, lived here for a while, ended up working uh, in retail. So got a college degree, went into working in retail, uh, honestly started out selling shoes. So Wait, so how'd you go from, how'd you go from Norwich to, so did you graduate from Norwich? Yes. All four years? Yep. And then how would you get to Plattsburgh from Norwich? Like, what was the reason to go make the jump? So I actually came back to Plattsburgh. I had two more classes to finish my degree. Okay. So uh, moved back to Plattsburgh because I was I was able to take the classes here at SUNY Plattsburgh. Uh, took my last two classes here. Uh, did an internship at Mountain Lake PBS. Okay. Um, to get my internship out of the way. Uh, so I moved back to Plattsburgh for that. Uh, had a you know made some good friends when I was here. Uh, and this was kind of, you know, when I, growing up in a small town, Plattsburgh was like a big city. Yeah. So yeah. it was kind of like there's something to do here, which yeah. was great, you know. Uh, you could walk somewhere and actually could, go to a restaurant. What's the biggest from you? Was it was it uh, Potsdam or Messina bigger? Um, so Messina was bigger okay. uh, way back in the day before all of the factories there closed. Okay. Once all the factories closed, I think Potsdam kind of took the lead there just because of the colleges. Okay. So between Clark's So like you would have went more to Potsdam direction? Yeah. For yeah. like stuff to do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I ended up, uh, you know, ended up here in Plattsburgh, uh, worked in retail, 
uh, ended up getting moving into a management position in retail, um, moved to Burlington, worked over in Burlington for a couple of years. Uh, then I moved down to central New York uh, in Utica, which that's its whole other story. That okay. was a, that was a horrible, ex- well, it was a good and bad experience there. Was it work-related? Uh, yeah. The move? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So okay. they, uh, they transferred me down to Utica, uh, you know, helped. Uh, basically helped turn the store down there around, which was a great experience. Okay. Um, great resume builder. Um, it so was, I'm, I'm reading some stuff. I'm like, it's keep oh, going, yeah. keep going. <laughs> um, you know, moved down there. I was in Utica for about uh, six or seven years working as an operations manager down there. Okay. Um, you know, just kind of... In shoes? Yeah, uh, in, in the, the whole store. So okay. I was the operations director for the store. Okay. Um, and we went from, I think, like the seventh or eighth largest... Uh, by volume to the third largest in the district, which was like most of northern yeah. New York area okay. uh, while I was there. Um, so I got to do a lot of really cool stuff there. Uh, ended up leaving there on uh, not great terms. Um, not by anyone at my store. Had, a, had a, a person higher up in management that didn't necessarily agree with how I worked. Um, so I moved on from there. Uh, and at the time, my, uh, my girlfriend was looking to go to SUNY Plattsburgh to finish to do her master's degree for teaching. So I was like, well, let's go back to Plattsburgh. You know, I, I like living there. Um, it was it was something that always struck me that I think a lot of people look at Plattsburgh as, and even just this region as a whole as kind of being like, it can feel like a black hole. Like mm-hmm. you get sucked in and you never leave. And people feel like, oh, you don't get to experience stuff. And, you know, after leaving and then seeing what else, some of the st- other stuff that's out there and coming back, I'm like, yeah, there's a reason it's a black hole. And really it's because it's a great place to live. You know, there's, there's always stuff to do. There's things around you in every direction, you know. I always kind of get upset when people are like, oh, there's nothing to do here. And I'm like, you mean there's nothing on TV? Because if you wanted to look for something to do, you can find stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we moved back up here. Um, what what what, time, what's, what year is this? Uh, this was probably 2000, let me think, 2012, 2013. How old are you now? Uh, 44. 44? Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So it's a good guess, there. right? Yeah. It was 79. So you, so you do moved, math, you figure Kind of like early, mid-30s, moved back to town? Yep. Okay. Yep. So I was, yeah. Uh, so moved back up here. Uh, ended up getting a job in manufacturing, um, basically just as a supervisor on the production floor. Had a position come open for environmental health and safety. Mm-hmm. Um, they asked if I was interested in doing that. And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I've, I've been doing a little bit of that stuff, just kind of helping out the person who'd been in that role. Jumped into that role and found out it was something that I was very passionate about and really enjoyed doing. Um, so I worked there for several years, uh, worked from being the EHS manager for the plant here to a platform role with four other facilities, um, basically helping lead them, uh, then moved into a, uh, led one of the corporate programs, uh, with 42 facilities all around the world, um, about eight to 10,000 employees. So, you know, that was a great opportunity to do that, get to see a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot of travel. Yeah, I remember so you saying the, that. Yeah. yeah, I was on the road a lot. You know, it was probably, I think at that point, the initially they're like, oh, it's about 25% travel. And I'm like, no, it's actually about 25% not travel. It was uh, it was quite a bit more. How, how many how many weeks of, the, of, or how many days of the month do you think you were gone, percentage-wise or, or amount-wise? Um, I would say probably, for a while, I was averaging probably two weeks out of uh, every month that I was traveling. Yeah. Um, and it was either, you know, like down to like Southgate in Los Angeles, uh, Oklahoma City, Chicago, um, Macon, Georgia, uh, Milan, Ohio. Like we had facilities all over. Denver was our home office. So I was there quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there was just a ton of travel. Uh, and then the position that I'm currently in, um, 
good friend of both of ours, Ryan Lee. Yep. Um, he actually uh, knew this position was coming, knew there was a position open in loss prevention, which was, you know, kind of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, told HR, hey, you should reach out to him, see if he's interested. So they, uh, Hickok and Bourbon reached out and said, hey, you know, we got, you were recommended for this role. Is it something you'd be interested in? So I talked to him for a little bit and said, you know, well, my biggest thing right now is probably, you know, I had a lot of other companies that had reached out, kind of headhunting and doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, the biggest issue was always salary because, you know, they want to pay a entry level salary to somebody with 15 years of experience. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, I'm not real interested. So talk to them and they were like, hey, this is what we can do. And I was like, that absolutely sounds perfect. Um, started this role, started with Hickok and Borman about two years ago uh, as a loss prevention advisor. Uh, the manager of the department retired about a year ago. And um, from there, I stepped into that role. And uh, now here I am. What a, so, so just for people that don't know, like that position, like what's kind of your, you know, like elevators pitch kind of thing of like, what do you do on a day to day or what's your main fo- areas of focus, you know, throughout the, the role? Um, so we do a lot of stuff. Um, our, our biggest goal really is we are kind of, a uh, we assist a lot of small businesses, medium sized businesses, uh, that may not have real strong health and safety programs. Um, we go in and we try and find out ways to help them reduce the risk to their employees, uh, you know, to the, to their facilities, whatever it might be. So, you know, we go in, we'll do uh, training on, you know, health and safety stuff. We will go in, we'll do like mock OSHA inspections. So we walk through as if we were an OSHA inspector, mm-hmm. look for any safety concerns, any issues that might be in their facility, uh, help them come up with plans to figure those out. Um, we do now one of the, the kind of the big things that's out there is what they, you know, it's called safety culture. You know, it's just kind of really kind of driving that safety to be a part of what your organization does. So we've been doing, focusing a lot of stuff on that mm-hmm. with trying to help organizations build out that safety culture. So it's just what they do and not something they do because they have to, um, because we see great results in organizations that do that. So they have much lower rates of injuries. Uh, so we go in and we just basically help our companies and all of our clients figure out how to do that. Is there ways, I mean, again, looking at stuff with like safety, is there a lot of stuff with like inefficient models that you can change to that might, even though it helps with safety, might help, you know, just production value or just speed of, you know, turn or whatever that might be? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, one of the things I was... Like the operation background kind of? Yeah. 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 Uh, And and having that that operations part in Mm -hmm. my background helps because I understand that there are going to be, you know, in in safety, there's a lot of obstacles. You know, people don't want to either, they don't want to spend the money. They don't want to spend the time on it. Um you know, we really focus in on, hey, how do we help you build this out and help them understand, you know, when you take care of that safety issue, everything else follows along. You know, I've seen that in the past for, you know, my, my past employers. Uh, I've seen it with clients when we can help overcome that concern of like, hey, safety is just money that we have to throw and there's no return on that investment. Mm-hmm. When you do that, the actual results are that you have employees now that aren't focused on, hey, I need to keep myself safe. And they're thinking about that level. So if you, you know, if you look at like Maslow's hierarchy, you know, mm-hmm. safety and health are at the bottom of that. Yeah. So if you take that concern away, it allows them to focus on those other things like quality and productivity, because now they're not thinking about, okay, I've just got to make sure that I'm actively concentrating and not getting hurt to, okay, I can't get hurt doing my job. Now I can pay attention to these other things. How do we make things more efficient? How is our quality? How do we fix those problems? Um, you're an office guy, right? Uh, office no. field. No, no, no. I mean like oh. the TV show. Oh yeah. 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 I thought, I think we've talked about it before. Yeah. Remember the, and again, everybody knows I love the office. So I'm just going to kind of segue into this to kind of prove a point. So 
remember the episode where the guy comes in, he's like the safety guy, and it ends up kind of turning into a flashback scene. But it, like he drives in, and he's on he's on like the Segway, and then he talks to Toby, and Toby's like, I don't want to lie, but I don't want to tell the truth. Like that guy, mm-hmm. I feel like, and I don't know exactly what that guy's role was in the show, but I feel like that's you coming in, where and correct me if I'm wrong, where people are like, ah, safety, boring. But then it's it's like anything with insurance. Mm-hmm. It's not fun to talk about. It's not fun to do. It's not fun to pay for. But if you don't have it, or when you have it. It translates to peace of mind, which I think anybody, you know, as you start going, like peace of mind, there's, it's very hard to put a price tag on peace of mind, depending what level you're in or what level of, you know, risk that you might be involved in. So do you kind of feel like you're maybe not the most fun guy to come in and be like, we're talking about OSHA safety today, but then once it's done, I I feel like everybody in the company is like, you know what? I feel like we just are better now, Mm -hmm. even though it's kind of like behind the scenes and maybe not flashy stuff, but like you said, it's that base of the pyramid. Am I like similar? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a good dude, so maybe you're not yeah. like you know. People are like, ah, oh, Casey's coming, but it's just like the subject matter. But it's, it may not be the most fun. I mean, you might mm-hmm. like it, you might nerd out on it, but it's yeah. also one where you're like, it's the thing that you need, and people are like, yep, I just got to do it because I, I can see the value as mm-hmm. to like where it's going to lead our company, even though it's not like the fun, flashy stuff. It's still like, like I said, it's that base, the foundation of the business. Yeah, no, it is. You know, and a lot of stuff what we do is we try we we. The big part about safety is making it engaging. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I go in and do training, I've been through a lot of those trainings myself. And I've had to sit there and have somebody just basically read me regulations. Yeah. And say, here's the things that you're required to Check do. You've got to follow these things. And I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever had to go through. They're, it's miserable. So I'm like, how, you know, if we're, if we have to go, I don't want to be the guy that goes into a place and like, that's the experience somebody has. Um, you know, we try to make sure that what we're doing is engaging. So like if I do a training, it's probably 50% talking about what those requirements and regulations are and 50% experiences and stories and, you know, real life things that have occurred or that I've seen that kind of help to hit it, hit it home a little bit more and make it more engaging. Cause people aren't going to remember, you know, CFR 1910-126 and the regulations that follow, but they'll remember hearing a story about the guy who, you know, was working on a forklift and a truck driver drove away with him in the back of the truck. Yeah. You know, they're going to remember that stuff. Well, I was going to say people, it's, it's like the stories. It's, it's uh, like people, like people understand, and it's like anything else, like a lot of, like think about history class back in the day. Mm-hmm. Most, most people did fairly well at history because I felt that you were just being told a story and you were just listening to the story and be like, I remember the story. I remember the details of the story. If you, okay, here's a science or math problem or something and you're like, Ugh, my head's spinning and I'm trying to understand it, but I just want, just someone talk to me. That's why I feel like listening to like audiobooks or podcasts, like you regret or you hold that information sometimes easier mm-hmm. than if you're just randomly like trying to read it or trying to study something because it's more engaging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And that's why they want people like us. You know, there's people like us who will go through and we know the code of federal regulations that OSHA requires. Like mm-hmm. we've learned all that stuff and we know that information. We can go and re- we can regurgitate it to somebody and we can re- and ex- help explain why. But it, then having that engagement part of like getting them to really understand why it's important and the benefits and that side, that's the, that's the real, that can be the harder part. Are, are, are these things now, obviously you're, you're working as a, you know, from an insurance company perspective, like when you go into these places, these, these, like when you go do these presentations, these are for potential clients of the overall business or this is like even just for hire kind of thing, potential clients, uh, current clients. So we work with our clients that we have, Mm -hmm. uh, to really help them build out their programs. Um, we do, we also do contract work. So we'll go out and we'll work with ones that aren't currently contracts or aren't, aren't current clients. Um, you know, we've got several of those that we work with just 
offhand. You know, we'll write a contract and say, hey, here's our, here's our fees. This is what's going to cost to do this for you, and we'll go in and we'll do that. Um, you know, any of our clients, we basically it's it's budgeted right into their their insurance. Mm-hmm. So most of those, most of that stuff, depending on what level they're at, that's all going to be just covered and paid for. So we're just a free additional service. Well, and then also kind of I always look at stuff where if you factor in most decisions, like at least from a business perspective, most of these are businesses. You look at like. Everybody always looks at the cost, but then I also mm-hmm. look at the time and energy perspective. So like someone like you has done all the dirty work of understanding it in the nuances and little changes and just brings it to the forefront. Like I would look at that and say, I don't have to learn it, like, which is good. I don't have time. I don't want to learn it. It's not my thing. Learn it. Tell me about it and give me your ex. Like same in my business. Like you can go put a sign up. You will probably sell your home. Are you selling it for the, the most amount possible, the least hassle, all, time, money, and energy? Are you getting that? I can pretty much emphatically say no, but they're like, I sold my house. I'm like, great, you sold your house, awesome. But selling your house and selling your house at the maximum you can get is, you know, it's different. Same thing I think with this. It's like you can figure out and hack your way through some of this, but then I would probably say like, you know, if that took you how many, you know, tens or, or hundreds of hours to figure out, you, I'm sure that time was better well spent more. I mean, like your, your area of like, um, you know, expertise versus doing what your area of expertise is mm-hmm. like for yeah. you, you're fishing, go in and be like, do 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 done. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our goal really is to help, you know, be able to go in and work with our clients to allow them to do the business that they're in. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a, you know, a manufacturing company, um, you know, we want to be able to go in, help them organize how they're doing their safety, you know, how help them figure out, you know, Hey, what, what are you real? Where are your real risks? Let's help solve those and get, and reduce the risk of something occurring there. We can move down that list and find the stuff that's lower risk and figure those out too. But we're, we want to get rid of the biggest risks, help eliminate those, and help you focus on what your business does. What um, how how many are you in a company typically for a day, a week, a couple weeks? Like, um, it it depends. Uh, it's it's really hard because a lot of times you know every business is going to kind of be its own thing. Mm-hmm. You know that's and and working with my advisors, I think we've all kind of figured that out. It's. It's like starting a new job. It's like starting as a new safety person every time you go into a new client because you really got to kind of figure out, okay, let's take an assessment and figure out where they're at. Once you know where they're at and what level they're at, then you can start figuring out, okay, what is it they're going to need to get to this next level? Um, You know, so we, I mean, I've gone into places where I'm like, okay, let's take a look at, you know, your, you know, some of the simple stuff, SDS sheets. So you got to, if you've got chemicals on site, you've got to have an SDS for them. I'm like, let's, let's, let's look through your SDS library. And they're like, our what? Like, okay. Now we know we're, we're starting like at the basement foundation level. And we've got a whole lot of work that we're going to have to build on that. And we have other ones where you go in and you, by the time you walk out, you're like, these guys have their stuff together. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, uh, we're going to be able to help them move up, but it's moving from a, you know, an, an A minus to an A mm-hmm. versus moving from a, a D minus to hopefully a C and then into an A. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it, it's going to vary between clients. And again, when you come in, this is like you're on their team. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not coming in and audit. You're not someone from OSHA coming in and, and, and you're like you said, you're doing mock evaluations, but the evaluations evaluations don't carry any negative weight. It's more of like, oh, thank, it's like a again. I'll go back to real estate terms, like a pre inspection. It's like we're doing all the stuff to make sure you know, fix it. So when the real deal comes, we're good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We want to go in so and it's do like that. preventative. Yeah. Which, and I think a lot of our clients appreciate that fact that, you know, we're going in to help them avoid that. So we don't, we don't want OSHA to show up and, and go through and just pick them apart. We want to do that first before any of that happens. 
we get out ahead of that stuff. You know, make sure that that when, when OSHA does show up, they're going to have to dig to try and find something wrong. Is OSHA kind of like a drug test? They just kind of pop up with the, with, the, with the cup and say, hey, pee in the cup kind of deal? <laughs> Uh, so not, not really. Um, is there warning before OSHA shows up? Uh, no, no. Okay. Normally so they can just knock up and we're here we they, are. they can just show up if they want to. Okay. Um, they have kind of a hierarchy of how they organize their inspections. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, and it really kind of like during COVID, a lot of that dropped off. I mean, the OSHA inspections actually went from around 40, I want to say it was like 40,000 to like 20,000 during COVID. Like it literally cut their number of inspections in half. Just because of availability or just because people weren't at the office or weren't at a lot of a lot of everything. Yeah. You know, some of them places just weren't running. Um, you know, OSHA investigators were still, you know, subject to all the federal regulations for COVID. So, like, they had to limit their exposure so they yeah. couldn't be on sites a lot of times. Um, but, yeah, they have a pretty rigid structure of how they investigate. Like, they're really they're going to prioritize again. They're doing that same thing. They're taking the highest risks up. So, you know, if they've got fatality and significant injuries. Those are the ones that are like their number one thing to look at. Um, you know, after that, it's going to be like repeat offenders, places that have had had those injuries, had those things happen, uh, and they're known to not necessarily fix them. Um, a big one that's been recent was, uh, and, you know, I don't like calling out businesses, but I know like Dollar General's been in the news a lot lately. Amazon warehouses as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because there's they're just repeating the same same things that are going wrong over and over again, and they're obviously not getting fixed. So they're going to try and investigate those places and really take a good look at them before they go and just show up at every mom and pop shop. How uh, how often, like if you go in and, and say audit, do an audit with with a client or whatever, like how often do you have to go in? Is it like, are most of these to kind of go in, do your thing, kind of monitor from a distance? Or like how often do you have to go in the field and be like, hey, I got to check. These are people I got to check like once a quarter, once a year. Or is there like an every three year cycle where like, yeah, they're probably good. They really can't screw this up unless they're like really delinquent and you kind of come in or, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah. So usually what we do is we actually set up a plan at the beginning of each year. Mm-hmm. So when we're, when they're going through that, the renewal process to renew their insurance for each year, uh, we'll go in and we'll basically create what we call a focus plan with them. And we say, Hey, what we know where your issues are this year. Let's take a look at what the big problems are. Um, and let's, let's prioritize what we want to do. So here's the, here's the three or four things that we want to make sure get done this year. Here's the support we can give you. Here's where our risk management team is going to work with you. So they're the ones that kind of look at the workers' comp side of stuff. Um, and then we say, okay, and then there's probably activities that you guys are going to do internally. What are your things that you want to do internally? So we kind of set up those three areas. How are we going to help? How's our risk management team going to help? And what are you going to do for yourselves? And then we basically go through and we use that as kind of our deliverables for the year. And we want to get through those. Um, you know, we'll make sure we, you know, we, we're in pretty frequent contact with most of our clients you know, we're also pretty much always available. They can email us when they have needs. You know, our, our big thing though is we want to make sure they're engaged in the process. You know, and that, that, that can be the uh, hurdle to overcome a lot of times. Uh, you know, some of them don't have that, that mentality of, hey, I want to invest the time and money in this and make sure things are right. Um, and so sometimes we're kind of like, feels like we're kicking down doors to try and get inside a place to be like, hey, listen, we're, we're here to help. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's, yeah. it's hard when you're, you know, pounding on their door and being like, hey, we want to help you. Um, to really get them to understand, like, that's what we're there for. You know, we're, we're here as that preventative side. Um, reg- regarding, like, safety training and stuff, how quickly does things evolve? Like, because obviously, there, I mean, business evolves in general, but, like, most safety stuff, it, is it mostly physical? Like, you get the physical, like, obviously, you says, like, some documentation and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. um, does any of it have to do ever with, like, technology increases or is it more of, like, technology from maybe machines or, you know, kind of an assembly line or something like that? 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's going to depend, you know, in the field. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like, I've, I've been a huge person dealing, um, you know, one of the big ones that's kind of come to the forefront is ergonomics. So, making sure that people have, you know, uh, aren't putting themselves at risk by strains, sprains, you know, overexertion, and those things. Um, that like was biomechanical pro- positions. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, so going in and doing that. Uh, and there, there is no OSHA regulation for that. There's no standard that says, hey, you have to do these things in order to make sure people are using proper ergonomic setups. There's some guidance, but there's nothing that's legally binding to any organization. Um, at the same time, it's something where OSHA can go in and they use what they call the, the general duty clause, which is that you are, as an employer, required to make sure people have a safe place to work. So if you're making people be in really awkward position and lift really heavy stuff all the time, mm-hmm. they can still cite you for that. So it's an ergonomic issue, and there's not an ergonomics program, but they'll cite you along those lines because you're putting people at risk. Could that even be, I mean, simply like you're on the, you're on some type of an assembly line, you stand majority of the day, like even just putting mats underneath where you're like, you know, just from standing on concrete, you're standing mm-hmm. on like, you know, you do dishes or something, they have like the foam mats. Yep. Could it even be down as simple as that? Yeah. Sometimes it's little things like that. Yeah. Um, but I'd say that the ergonomics though is one of those big ones where I think there's a lot of that technology coming out now. So, I mean, you've seen your, you know, exoskeletons and some of the stuff that's mm-hmm. really cool that's coming out that are real high end of that, that the tech forefront. Um, and, but you've got simple stuff like a anti-fatigue mat that you stand on, Yeah, you know, and, and, and anywhere in between those two things are 25, 30, 300 or a thousand other methods to be able to help reduce that risk. So, you know, we can help figure out what some of those are, you know, and that's kind of our side of it. You know, we're not asking our clients to go out and be like, Hey, you've got an ergonomic problem with this person doing this job, go fix it. We're going to see that problem be like, Hey, there's an issue here. Let's see what we can find that can help you help you resolve that. So the risk creativity on your part where it's like, let me try to brainstorm and figure this out. Uh, I always kind of joke that uh, about 85% of being a health and safety professional is knowing how to effectively use Google. Yeah. That's <laughs> I, so we, we had a, this happens like in our business cause a lot of it's technology driven and you know, there's different things. People are like, well, how do I do that? I'm like YouTube and Google. I like you're asking me, I'm like, hey, that's literally where I go. That's, that's how I've probably educated myself. 99% of my career is Google and YouTube. Mm-hmm. You, know, you talk to people and stuff and you learn from that. But I mean, I Google and YouTube so many things. Yeah. Like YouTube is actually the, I, I think when you go through like apps and stuff, it's probably the app I use the most because I'll just sit there and like watch videos to learn stuff. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean learn stuff like, Hey, learn how to fix something around the house, but it's like something in business, like learn a concept, like learn an ad structure, learn, uh, you know, whether it's a sales structure, learn, you know, an efficiency structure. Like I will watch hours of video, understand it, and then start playing with it and applying it. And be like, okay, I got, I know how to do this, but I love free education. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And that's, and that's really a lot of what we do. We do that research on the back end for our clients to help figure out what's the way to fix this problem. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite part of all this? Like what, 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 like gets you, like what gets you kind of, uh, I want to say up out of bed, but you said, like I said, you find a passion behind uh, safety. Like, what's the kind of the main thing that just North Star for you? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, you know, I think one of my things with my last company and even now is that, you know, my I want to make sure that anyone that I work with or that I interact with goes home to be able to do the things that they love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always used to have a joke in my last company. And I said, listen, you know, we, we, we made rolled roofing product. And I would joke, and I would start off most meetings. I'm like, listen, no one here is passionate about rolled roofing products. Yeah, You're here because it's a job that helps you pay bills and helps you be able to do the things that you enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. 
why would you put yourself at risk for something you're not passionate about? Why would you want to not be able to do those things that you like to do because we got an extra pallet of material off the end of the production line? It doesn't make sense. Um, So for me, that's, you know, being able to carry that out to a much broader community, uh, very, you know, in a ton of different places. That's really what and I enjoy. A variety of industries, right? And a ton of different industries. Yeah. You know, I was, you know, when I first started this role, it was, it was great because it was every day was like being in a real life episode of how it's made. Because I go to, I show up at a manufacturing yeah. facility and they're like, all right, let's go through and walk you through our entire process. So I get to go into these buildings that like most people don't get to go inside, yeah. yep. see how things are made, like right up front, you know, talk to the guys that are making it, figuring those things out. So, I mean, that's always awesome, you know, especially like, yeah, we carry some craft breweries and some distillers. So those are always fun. Yeah. Because, you know, there's also, you know, occasionally some, you know, hey, we'll send you home with a sample. Um, so. Ah, shucks. I yeah. guess I'll bring it. Yeah. Lake uh, Champlain chocolates. Real rough to go there the, and have the, them be like, here's a bunch of seconds. Bring them home. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, so, well, I was going to say, when you start going and learning, um, and I think you kind of put this in, but you're you're like a learning guy. You mm-hmm. like like learning stuff. Yeah. So like, and I, I know we'll kind of joke about this, but man of much knowledge, master very little of it. So I, I heard this once. Um, um, it was phrased as, what do they call it? Like cocktail knowledge? Mm-hmm. Like if you were at a cocktail party, you could pretty much talk to anybody about anything. I would consider myself like on that level mm-hmm. where I could probably hang in a conversation, unless it's like cars or something. I'm terrible with cars. <laughs> but like I really am. Someone was talking to me today about it, and I'm like, I don't know that style of car. I know the brand of car. That's yeah. about as much as I know. <laughs> Uh, but there's certain things I know a very little about, but very broad. So not like deep. I know mm-hmm. only if you had said how many things do you know, like at a very deep, deep level, I can count on my hand. You know what I mean? And that's I think true for most people. Yeah. But so kind of explain that. Like, what's your, I guess, knowledge base? Like, where'd that come from? Like, love. Like, I would say you love learning. Yeah. 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 I want to know. I want to know. Uh, I want to know everything about everything. Yeah. But I know that's not possible. Mm -hmm. So I want to know something about everything. Um, And I actually was, and it's funny because you bring that up and I actually just, I was, uh, I was reading an article um, not too long ago, which, you know, like speaking of wanting to learn and wanting to kind of understand how my, you know, how your brain functions and like how mine functions. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I was, I was diagnosed years ago with severe ADD, Um, but there, you know, there's several different types of attention deficit disorder. Um, and reading this article was talking a lot about how, you know, most people, the way they function is that they want to, to do something and get it completed. And when you get that task completed or that project or whatever it is, that's when you get the dopamine release from that. So you get something out of it. So, you you know, your, your body gets that dopamine, uh, the, the kick from getting that thing done. Some people that have severe ADD, we get that dopamine release when we've learned, a f- uh, you know, what we, th- what we feel is a really good amount of information about that project. So we may not finish it, but we've learned a ton about it. And once we've learned that limit, like that amount, we already get that dopamine release. So finishing the project doesn't really have a benefit because of the fact that we've already got the dopamine. We've already got the kick out of it. And doing, you know, pursuing it further isn't really going to do much for me. So... Uh, it was really kind of interesting reading this article about that because I was like, huh, that explains a lot. Yeah. That's why I have 847 projects that are 75% complete because I learned everything I could about that thing by doing this project. And it got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, I feel competent in this project. I got my release and I moved on to the next thing. 
how um, this I feel like this is I've never been like diagnosed with ADHD or anything like that. I'm sure I have a level of it, you know, like or ADD, not ADHD. Well, you know what I yeah. mean? ADD, um, attention deficit disorder. Like I, I feel like I am probably in that. But like when you try to learn something, how long do you you stick with something before you feel like you jump off the ship, like into something different? Um. And that's a good question. I, you know, and a lot of it is going to be like six months to three years it, kind of thing. I think a lot of it's going to depend on how much you really need to learn about something to, to get that release. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's some stuff where I know that I've only learned a little bit about it. So I'm going to continue to try and understand it more thoroughly. Um, but I'm probably not going to be the person who's going to go through to that level of research and understanding of it to perfect my knowledge on it. Like that's just, I don't, I don't get as much of a benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would because in the long run, I'm going to be able to be proficient at that thing. Um, so you want to get up but, to like 80, 90%, but yeah. don't want to spend, because as, as we know, like you can get to 80, 90%, probably 20% of the effort and 80% of the effort is going to get you up marginally better. Exactly. I mean, deep, very deep knowledge, but marginally better overall. Yeah. You know, you can get to that 80% level fairly easily, mm-hmm. but if you want to get to 95, there's a ton more investment. Years. In yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm probably, depending on what it is, you know, I've done, uh, I don't even know how many hobbies I've had. You know, we read them off. (laughs) We're going to dive into all of them. We got golf, (laughs) grilling, Philadelphia Eagles, Star Wars, ordained duteous priest, duteous priest, duteous, duteous. We'll talk about that. Yeah, craft beer, brewing, autograph collecting, music, guitar, not having kids. Like we got a whole. I don't know if that's a hobby. That probably just a topic. But yeah, um, yeah. Like I would say, knowing you, guitar, I knew that. Brewing, I knew that. Music, I knew that. Golf, I knew that. Um, begrudgingly Philadelphia Eagles. Unfortunately, I knew that. Um, but I mean, so like most of these things, when you kind of pick at it and, and need, like golf requires knowledge, grilling requires knowledge, you know, craft beer, and then you start going like auto- music or autograph collecting, guitar, like those require time. Philadelphia Eagles, I don't know if that requires a lot of time. I mean, obviously it's like fandom, but it's not yeah. like, it's not like you learned how to be a fan, you, no. but you put hours of watching or understanding or watching, you know, stats and, and players and things. Yeah. But, um, like kind of breaking all those down, like you still play golf. You still, I'm assuming still grill. Mm-hmm. You obviously still enjoy craft beer, things like that. Like what, like at what point do you're like, okay, I put a lot of time and effort into learning about, let's say grilling. And now you're like, I'm proficient at grilling. My skills aren't up to when I was like very in it, but they're still pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is that kind of true for a lot of these things? Yeah, I think, and you know, and it's funny because like, you know, I think a lot of the ones that I've listed on there are ones that there's also consistent rewards for. I mean, drinking yeah. craft beer has a reward every time I Instant. do it. Instant. Instant. Yes. Instantaneously, yeah. <laughs> it's just everything's better. Yeah. Um, you know, grilling, having good food. Yeah. You know, there, there's yep. always a reward at the end of it. Yeah. Um, golf, there's never a reward for golf. No, you bash your head into the wall. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's, it's meaningless. Uh, it's a horrible thing. There's a massive dopamine effect, though. You flush a ball, a ball, or make a good putt, or hit one close. Like, yeah, it's like it's weird, but people talk about this in golf. Like, you go in and you shoot well, and you birdie or par the last hole, and you've had a crap round. All of a sudden, you're like, you know what? I'm ready to tee it up tomorrow. Yeah, but you shot 100. But I'm like, I don't care. It doesn't the last hole. Yep. Doesn't hit, even hit, a, hit a beautiful drive down the center of the fairway. Like, yep. That's all you need. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how simple like minded people are when they play golf. Yeah. Like, you you will chase that feeling for the rest of your life. Yeah. It doesn't go away. Yeah. Um, no, and I think there's, you know, there's some of those that are like, for me, I still, I, I still get that, that reward, I think from those things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and other stuff, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I get proficient at it. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. You know, I have friends that do, you know, woodworking Yeah, and I think it's fascinating. 
and it's it's interesting and I've learned a lot about it. But it's not something that I could like be like, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to like open my own wood shop and do this. It, it just for me, there the reward to that would be so limited that it wouldn't really be worth the investment. Right now, if you, I'm going to say like, which hobbies interests are you up to, like currently right now? If I looked at your day to day, week or whatever, that you would say I'm doing this right now actively. Um, hmm. Because it's not uh, I mean, a lot. You typically would have one main interest, maybe two. Like, it's usually small. Yeah. Um, I would say right now, probably, you know, golf. That's mm-hmm. always been there. I mean, I've been playing since I was four years old. So, yeah. you know, that, that's going to be always always been there. Um, guitar and music, unfortunately, those have kind of fallen off. Uh, those are ones that I think I, I did a lot of that because there was the interaction with other people. Mm-hmm. And then other people got tied up in other things, and that kind of, like, went away. So, um Brewing, that's one that I'm actually trying to get back into now. Yep. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, to tr- you know, start to hone that one in because, again, great rewards from that one if you can yeah. brew your own beer and it's really good. But it's awesome. like science too, so it's the learning. Yeah, the, yeah you're, you're, there's, a, there's a ton of stuff to learn there. And that's the thing is that I don't feel like I've – I haven't got that full release from that. Like I haven't got that dopamine from everything I can learn about about brewing beer. There's still a lot there. Mm. Um, so there's, there's some meat on that bone. Um, grilling, definitely. Still, you know, I do that regularly. Um, you know, always trying to figure out how to make things a little bit better, mm-hmm. you know, how to perfectly get that, you know, beautiful reverse seared steak. You know, that's always, you know, got to just keep trying until you get it right. Um, I've got it right every time pretty much, but I'm still going to keep trying to get it a little better. Are you like a grill smoker, blacktop? Like what? Are you- um, everything. Uh, so I actually got a, it's a master built. Okay. Uh, so it's actually like a, it's kind of one of those weird like chimney uh, grill so you can grill it, you can smoke on it, you can do whatever you want with it. Um, Which one? It looks like this? Uh, let's see. Yep, the 800 one is right the one that I have. Um, yep, so that's the that's the size up, but yeah, it's pretty much the same exact thing. So, you, you know, you, you basically dump a chump, bunch of charcoal on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, right and I mean, I did. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Yep, and that big yep. chimney on the side. Yep. Um, and I actually did, uh, so we have our, our annual... So we, we kind of claim July 4th, uh, myself and my girlfriend, as being kind of our party. So we do uh, our annual uh, meat explosion and fireworks extravaganza. Right at the house? At our house, yep. Nice. Yep. Uh, so I'll, I'll have to make sure you get your invite for next year. That's, um, so I'm going to have a beer. Yeah, we've, we've Watch been, some fireworks. Yeah, exactly. We've, we've been slowly growing it over. It's our, it's our one child-friendly party of the year. Um, so, we, you know, we have a fenced-in backyard, so, you know, they, don't, they can't run away. Um, but yeah, I mean, we do uh, signed so up. I basically, I think last year I grew, I did uh, seven racks of ribs. Um, so and those were like all day long. From started those at about eleven o'clock in the morning. Do you uh, use one of those? Uh, nope, nope. Just how, the, how do you think that would be right there? Oh, uh, the math, the the electric smokers. I I don't know. I haven't tried the master built on that side. Um, the one that I have actually does everything I need it to do. So. I mean, I mean, obviously, this looks like it's foolproof. Like you can't mess this up. And that's that's what I like about mine. I mean, it's it's hard to. Sorry, sorry, I totally went off track there. But oh no, it's no. all good. Um, yeah, like mine, it's it, it, and it's great because it's. I mean, it's it's all electric. You plug it in. Like I basically plug it in and I set a temperature. So if I want to do my ribs, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna set my I'm gonna set this at two two thirty, and it will maintain that temperature for me all day. So I don't have to like mess with anything. I just go back. I I flip them when I need to wrap them when I want to do all that stuff. Uh, so we did the seven racks of ribs and then I did, uh, 12 pounds of Wagyu steak. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's legit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also did, I think, uh, like a hundred wings. 
So one of my other friends came over and we had like three. Just deep fried them? Uh, no, we actually used uh, three air fryers. So oh, we really? had three okay. air fryers going, try, you know, on, on three different different circuits in the house so we didn't blow anything. That's good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had uh, three three air fryers going for just chicken wings beforehand to kind of, you know, what everyone's appetite a little bit. But yeah, we did the, uh, yeah, I mean, that was like an all-day project just being at the grill. Are you, um, I was going to say, regarding like prepping, like seasoning, you know, mm-hmm. marinating, things like that, like what what level do you get in on that? Are you, st- like, is that part of the f- things you like doing? Because that's where most of the flavor is. I mean, the flavor, and then obviously I had to cook it. Yeah, yeah and I mean, honestly, like I've, I, I, I think I started out that way, and I found a couple of recipes that I'm just like... The go-to? That's the one. Yeah. Um, I mean, ribs. Ribs were just it's plain yellow mustard. And uh, I use a... Uh, I think it's actually like... Well, we use, this year I used it from a different company. I used it from... Um, oh, what is it? Uh, it's the one of the markets over in Vermont. They make their okay. own spices, and it's basically a maple barbecue. My, uh, well, this was Fourth of July a few years back. We we had this big Fourth of July party. I, I go to a friend a friend's family's camp, and it was a blast. And there was like seven grills there. And my favorite thing they made was same thing. Like every night, there's some type of grilling going on. And there's there's I think there was a smoker. There was like charcoal grills. There was just you know propane grills. But there was a ton. Like you cook mm-hmm. anything and everything. So chicken thighs, which I absolutely love. It was chicken thighs, and it had like the Lowry rub on it. I mean, this is like – I don't think it's like – it's like a specific type of Lowry rub that you just can't find. Like it's mm-hmm. – I don't know exactly which one it was, but they're always like, you can't find these in stores. So you got to like either order them or they're only at like these weird spots. They put those on. They put it in like one of the charcoal like, you know, kind of uh, circular kind of um, grills. Put yep. it to the side, low and slow. Just let it cook. Those – that was the greatest – chicken thighs I've ever had in my life. And mm-hmm. it was like, you could just sit there and eat those. And you're like, to the point, like I'm full, but I'm going to have three more. Yeah. And uh, cause it just like, it's like, it's crack. It's great. But, um, but when you start seeing like the prep behind it and just kind of like the process behind it versus like, Hey, I'm just going to fry, throw it on quick, 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 move it in. There's a big difference between what you get with flavors, Oh yeah. how you cook. Um, I grew up having steak cooked well, Oh, I'm sorry. I, no, I know. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll come full circle. So my parents were never like really big grillers or things like that. And so like everything was just cooked well. So I grew up, I'm like, oh, whatever. But it's the only thing I ever knew. I got up, I was like 21, I think it was. I went to my first ever real estate conference. I go down, I just got into real estate. Some buddies my dad knew, was sitting with them. This one guy, uh, he's great. And uh, older, older guy, and he leans over and he kind of like took me under his wing. And I'd like never been to like a fancy steakhouse and it was like, this is pretty cool. And he's like, okay, um, so what, what should I get? First time I ever had a Cosmo too. Like, I mean, this was like bougie. I, I, I was definitely <laughs> out of my league. I was like, I, I'll take a blue light, but no, we're going to have Cosmo. So it was good. But we ended up sitting there and he's like, I'm like, what, what steak? He's like, well, he's pointing out some different things. I forgot the, the cut of steak I got. He goes, uh, we had wine and all this. It was great. He goes, get, get a medium rare, like, medium rare. Like that's not be at least medium well i shouldn't say well it was like medium mm-hmm. uh medium well and he's like no no medium rare and i'm like really he goes and kind of explained why you don't get anything more than you know at least medium like but yeah so since that day i have never ordered a steak less than medium or more than medium rare like yeah. i like medium like if they overcook it whatever i'll eat it i've never gone over medium rare it's always medium rare mm-hmm. it is the greatest way to have a steak yeah. Do you have rare steak or is it always, always medium rare? I, I go, so, um, so we, we, you're we, not a medium guy. I could tell. No. Yeah. No, I was going to no. say, I'm like, there's no way Casey's no, having I, medium I, steak. You know, I always kind of look at the, uh, uh, what's his name? The, the comedian was always like, yeah, just, you know, I'll cut off what I want. I'll ride the rest home. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> um, 
Uh, Dennis Leary, I think that was his, his, yeah, his, his thing was, yeah, just, uh, bring the cow out here. I'll cut off what I want and I'll ride the rest home. Um, no, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm medium rare. So usually like when I do it, I get it. Um, so I, I do the reverse sear method. Okay. So I do like a, a low and slow at the beginning, get it up to like one fifteen. Yep. Take them off, wrap them, crank the grill up to like 700 degrees, let it get really nice and hot. And then just talk, you put them on there for like a minute and a half on each side. It gets them to like 130, 131, yep. pull them off. And, the and nice just let part, them kind of post cook a little bit. And, too. and honestly, you don't even have, like, that's the nice part about the reverse here is that you've already cooked the inside. Mm-hmm. So like, you don't necessarily even have to let them rest. What, what do you, what do you do the, um, before you sear them down, what would you put it on? Like at how long at what temperature? Um, probably usually I put it at like 225. Mm-hmm. Uh, leave it on there for, yeah, it's probably about, takes about 12 to 14 minutes okay. to get them to like that 115. Uh, you know, depends on the temperature you, 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 you know, you're starting with. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I try and get them to room temperature and then put them on the grill. So usually about 12 minutes or so, mm-hmm. six minutes aside. And, uh, yeah. We're talking about a like three quarter inch kind of thing. Yeah, probably inch. about an inch. Yeah. Um, usually what I'll, what I'll do is I'll actually order, um, uh, the, uh, coulette cut. So okay. it's like a. They're three pounds, and you, I can get you. And get, honestly, I'll tell you right now, you want good steak, Vermont Wagyu over in Vermont. You can get a uh, three-pound uh, coulette of Wagyu steak mm-hmm. for seventy-two bucks. Wow! And the coulette is one of the most like underrated cuts. How do you spell that? C o u l e t t e. So it's also it's also commonly known as the picanha. So if you ever go to like a Brazilian steakhouse. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that they cut. They kind of like grill it like in a C shape. They like fold it in half and then grill it that way. Um, yeah. If right you here. get like this a. right here. Yep. Yep. So that's how they'll cut them there. Uh, but they are like just literally like there's this nice huge big piece of fat on the side and usually just wonder like perfect marbling in them. So it's on the loin? Uh, yep. Loin part? Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's like part of the top loin mm-hmm. um, that doesn't really get used as well. But it's also like one of the cheapest cuts of steak you can find. But it's so like it's like so the price tender. you pay versus what you get is incredible. Yeah, ratio is yeah. great. Yeah, I I actually got one not too long ago. Uh, we were just at Price Chopper, and I was like, we didn't have any we didn't have any wagyu in the freezer, so I'm like, well, we'll just grab a couple. And they didn't have any in the cooler, so I asked the, the butcher. I was like, hey, mm-hmm. do you guys have any uh, any coolette? And he's like, uh, let me go take a look. When he comes out, he's like, I don't have any right now, but I can cut some. He's like, you know, how many do you want? And I'm like, oh, we just need a couple. And uh, so he comes out. And uh, he walks out and he brings these these two coolettes out and I'm just like, they looked like wagyu, and he, like as the butcher he was like, I have never seen meat here that looks like this. <laughs> he was like, so I only have two packages of these. Do you want them both? And I'm like, yes, yes we do. And uh, I looked at him and he was like, there's two more. We're taking them home. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't blame you. Oh, he took but, them home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Him and the other guy that cut him, they actually took the other two home. That's Because they funny. were just like, dude, we're not. Yeah. yeah. Th- these are ours now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, steak's so good. But it's such a, it's such a wonderful, like, good tender cut. I'm so looking, easy. And so you can get that local too, or you said Vermont. Vermont yeah, has the best, but you can get them local? Well, Vermont Wagyu. Because then you're getting the Wagyu cut. You're the Wagyu steak. And Wagyu, is, is that's a Japanese, right? And they call it, it is. Like, it's a breed. So there's a breed for it. And then like, uh, so uh, I think it's. All Kobe is Wagyu, but not all Wagyu is Kobe okay. beef. Um, and you can get like Australian, you can get American Wagyu. It's it, it's from a certain Isn't like Japanese Wagyu like very rare and very that's, expensive? That's the stuff like that. If you can get like, it's like A5 Wagyu yes. is like the that, stuff. Yes. Yep. That, and like that's going to run you. 
I think like Costco has it and like two little like four ounce New York strips are like a hundred bucks. Yeah. It's and that's insane. a Costco, which is like, you know, ridiculous pricing. Um, yeah. I mean, the, it, yeah. So what is, what is Wagyu? It's the type of, it's the type of, uh, yeah, it's the cow, the cow. Yeah. So the Wagyu cow? Yeah, I think it's the actual... I'm fairly certain I haven't... Again, one of those places where I haven't done my research on that end of it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure they're actually... So they're a breed. So have you had Wagyu? A line. A5? No. Uh, I don't think I've ever had it. I, I just know it's like... It's like up I, there. I had it when I was in Los Angeles. And um, it, it kind of ruined me. Because uh, so it was like, so good. Yeah. Like that's why... Like I, like it's so hard to go to like a grocery store now and like buy steak. Yeah, the because, Japanese wagyu cow. Yeah, yeah. When you've had when you've had something that's that good, it's hard to just go and be like, oh, I'm just going to get this, you know, this New York strip from the local grocery store and go bring this home and grill it and really get and expect it to be the same. So, do, I mean, collective name for four principal Japanese breeds of beef cattle. Like, do you know what crossbreeding early 20th century? So it's just purely whatever the combo was when these things bred. It's just the meat or whatever makes them up. Yeah, it's just incredibly marbled. Like they're the, mm. that fat content in the muscle is just incredibly high. So is Wagyu your favorite type of meat? Probably, yeah. Do you know what the different, like A5 versus what anything else would be rated? It's just that, I don't know what the other rating numbers are. I know it's just a, it's a matter of the, the, the quality and level of marbling that you see in that steak. Yeah. Are you more of like a marble kind of steak guy? Yeah, I want it nice and marble. Like I'm want, a like, bone and ribeye guy. Like, yeah, see, I love... like I don't... And, um, you know, and that's, that's a good, de- it's a decent cut. Yeah. I think the only thing you find is that you're not going to get, I mean, in all reality in steak, the fat's where the flavor is, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, like if you just, if you got a piece of steak, like, um, you know, like I don't like, I don't like, uh, like fillets are too lean. They're too, yeah. they're good, but they're not like, yeah, for me, I'm always going to go ribeye. It's really tender muscle, but there's no, there's no fat to carry the flavor. Correct. Yep. So I'm not, I'm not a big fan of a fillet. Especially when you get like that little bit of like that crisp on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just a little bit of char on there and you mm-hmm. start eating it. It's like just, ah, it's so good. Yeah. And they'll tell you, I mean, if you get, if you get good steak, like if it's got that good marbling, like a lot of places you go in, like if you're going to cook in like cast iron, you know, you can yep. go through and you're putting a bunch of butter and stuff in. If you get really, really good marbled steak, mm-hmm. you just, you don't even need the butter. Yeah. It cooks itself. I, uh, so I, I, that's one thing I've, I've learned how to do and I do it more in the winter because in the summer, I like going out on the grill when it's too cold. I used to take a big cast iron or like a skillet. Mm-hmm. Um, cast iron and it depends a a lot of times I'll throw in um, like just plain butter it's probably the best I've done Mm -hmm. like avocado oil and stuff too but I usually just do plain butter butter and yep throw in the butter and then I usually put in like you know like rosemary you might put in some like garlic cloves Mm -hmm. or whatever Um, and I'm trying to think of anything else I think that's it maybe just some salt and pepper prior to put it on put it in sear it and just kind of let it like really smoke up and just like Mm probably I, I usually flip it a couple times just to like you yeah. know so it's not overheating or overcooking but i'd probably say it's on there for four to five minutes tops just sear 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 kind of deal like rotate every minute pull it off and just kind of let it let the juices kind of flow and let it cook a little bit post and then yep. it's amazing yeah salt, salt pepper garlic man yeah if you need more than that on your steak you got the wrong steak well and that's that's usually my go-to is that, and sometimes i don't even put the garlic on i like garlic but sometimes i want to just taste the flavor and mm-hmm. I, sometimes i find garlic you know again i'm not a, i'm not a perfect chef by any means so i i know i butchered a lot so i'm probably putting the wrong amount but sometimes i feel like a little bit of garlic will take away from the flavor especially if you have a good flavored steak i'm like i just yeah. want salt and pepper like i said a little bit of butter maybe just kind of you know just make it a, that much better yeah. um and i find that i'm i'm pretty satisfied with that like and i get excited when i make those again yeah. it, it's i'm not a i'm not a chef by any means but I, I do find it fascinating when you're like cooking a meal there's something about it and you can see 
start to finish the whole process, mm-hmm. there's something about just seeing that end result. I mean, and then you can sit there and have like a glass of wine or a beer while you're doing it, but it becomes yeah. kind of like a, you don't even have to be with anybody at like grilling, just like by myself, just put some music on and just kind of cook and watch and just kind of chill and just see the whole thing just turn into something good and then get to eat it. Like, like you said, instant gratification is right there. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's fun. It's a fun thing. And that's why, I think there's one of the other reasons I like that coolette is, I mean, you're, you're getting basically a three pound chunk of meat. Yeah. So you, you kind of have a little more interaction with it than just going and getting a, a pre-cut steak from the store. Like now you've got to go through, you've got to do a little bit of trimming. You've actually got to cut like, you know, how wide, how big of, how, how thick of a steak do you want? You can make those decisions and cut it the way you want to do it. So what's, um, a, what's a proper way, or at least the way that you know how to like trim a steak? What would you look for? Is there certain spots you want to cut it? Certain things you want to cut out? Um, if if it's got like too much of like a fat cap on it, like yeah. where that real thick fat is, like just never gonna I'll cook. trim that down to yeah. like, you know, maybe a half an inch yeah. is like as a good like cap on it, and then just the, the marbling inside the meat's the other big part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as long as it's got good marbling and it's not like a just a huge mm-hmm. chunk of like gristle or fat on there, anything like that, I'm cutting off. It's gone. I don't want that. I, I want. I want the steak to, to to taste like something. So like something like this, like you would cut this a little bit. Um, no, I'd, I'd leave that in You'd there. Leave that, but this but piece you, could, you might cut a little bit. Yeah, I might trim a little off the end of that. Yeah, you know, just um, you know, and, and depending on you know do, uh, on how good the quality of the butcher is, you know, are they leaving any like gristle? Are they leaving any tendon or anything like that? Make sure that stuff's not on there because no one wants that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, marble score. Yeah, like I would be, I'd love like right here. Yeah, that's that might be a little too much. That's not enough. You need yeah, those yeah. look great. No, you gotta you gotta have really good marbling. That's that is the key to a good steak. Do you pair stuff like? Are you a wine guy with steak? Do you uh, like wine? I'm not really. I'm not. I've never been much of a wine guy. No. Okay. Um, you know, here and there, you know, depending on the situation, I'll have a, I'll, I'll, I might have a glass of wine, but it's not. Can you um, can you drink and eat? And when I mean by drink and eat, like can you eat and then like your drink is a beer? Yeah. So like my I I as long as I can remember if I have something to eat if you said listen we're going to have a beer right now we're going to eat you know as soon as the food comes out I'll drink a beer before the meal I love it mm-hmm. as soon as the be- the meal comes out I will not touch that beer it fills me up I don't like the taste of it with the food I'll drink water mm-hmm. but the only the only drink that I can have is wine with I mean an alcoholic drink would be wine with with any kind of meal it doesn't yeah. steak fish whatever um, I don't like mixed drinks. I don't like bourbons or scotches or, or beers. I like, I can do wine with food and that's the only thing that I can pair just because I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is about wine. If it's just smoother or maybe just less carbonation or whatever that might be, yeah. but I can't do beer. And usually when I'm done the meal to go back to beer is, t- is hard too, because you're full. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I could sip, I could sip wine. I could have maybe a mixed drink after type thing, you know, like, yeah. or a cocktail, but it's very hard for me to have beer fills me up a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I can drink beer, and as soon as I eat, I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need more beer. Yeah. Because it's just – and I've, I've always been like that, and I've tried it before. I'm like, I, like if we were having dinner right now or having a meal, we had we had beer. I guarantee I'd be drinking out of this, and this would have the same amount in it when I'm done. And I'd be like, yeah, it's warm. And like – Yeah. I don't know. No, I think, uh, you know, and, 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 and I mean, honestly, and you can do a lot of the same stuff with beer that you can do with wine. You know, you, you can get the oh, right beers cooking? to like pair yeah. like with a certain type of food. Have you um, cooked with beer too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've cooked with beer in the past. Not, not as much anymore. Um, I, I feel like it's I, I have better purposes for my beer. Yeah, like drinking it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you can definitely cook with it. Um, yeah, I think I did. Uh, I'm trying to think what kind I used. I used a certain kind when we did uh, Thanksgiving turkey. 
Oh, I yeah. usually use like a half a beer with the turkey. Yeah. Just like let it sit and pull the flavor yeah. out. Yeah. Yep. Um, no, not like a full on like beer can turkey, but yeah, you know, that, that that's a little you know, less bougie than I want to be. <laughs> um, but, you know, going through and just doing a little bit of beer in there just to get a little more flavor. Um, but no, I mean, like there's, you know, I'm also, I mean, I've got probably 200 or 50, 250, 300 bottles of beer and cans of beer of like stouts and porters and stuff that are actually, I have a, I have a cellar that they're just aging in that they're just sitting there for a while until they how long does beer stay good for uh it depends on the type of beer but like if you're trying to age because i know like some beer i get it i'm like yeah IPAs, three months later i'm like Ugh, throw this stuff out ipa drink it fresh yeah you got to do that um once you usually get up over like 11 11 even like some of the ipas so like uh like technically like dogfish 120 is an ipa mm-hmm. uh it's really more of a barley wine like it's a different range um but you can let those age. And honestly, like I've had people that have got like that 120 and they're like, oh my God, I can't drink this. And I'm like, yeah, you not when it's new. Like you let that sit in a cellar for three years and it's going to be delicious. Um, but yeah, I've got probably, I don't even know how many bottles downstairs that are just sitting there. And I'll go out and I'll find a good one for, you know, if I'm going to have a, have a steak, be like, all right, let's find a good beer to drink with us. So um, you will buy it with the intention of letting it sit for years? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I have a, I have, I have my beer fridge, my cold beer fridge, which is like for, you know, for the IPAs and that stuff that that's out in the garage, that one's always full. But then I have, you know, which makes it easy because then that way I don't feel like I'm, you know, I have to dig into the cellar because I've yep. got fresh beer right there that I have to drink fresh. So yep. it, it encourages the aging process for that stuff when I find it. Um, so I didn't know this. So we, we, well, I told you about Jen, like Jen knows more about beer than me. And then other people that she knows know more beer. And I, so one day we were at this place and she's like, grabbing the beer i was like great she goes do we have a we don't have a cooler do we i'm like it's fine it's cold like just bring it we'll like drink it but we we're gonna save it for later kind of mm-hmm. thing she goes like no you want to have it like like cold to cold and i'm i'm dumb i'm like just throw it in the car like it'll be fine i'll throw yeah. it in the fridge tonight and i didn't realize like you're not really supposed to do that you're supposed to mm-hmm. try to keep it cold all the time so like yeah. people will go get beer and they'll like have coolers to put the beer in so it never gets warm yeah so what's it like what's do you know the reason behind that? Is just it take the flavor that does it really make a difference? Yeah. So I mean, like the 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 keeping it cold thing. I mean, like I've I've never really. I mean, I get it and I understand the process behind it because you can lose some of those flavors. Like that's why you'll go like if you go to the beer store, some of the IPAs are on a shelf. Mm-hmm. They're not refrigerated because they weren't cold. And but once you get them cold, you don't want them to get warm and then get cold again. Okay. That starts to impact the flavors and and, and that kind of stuff. But. Um, you know, and, and, and honestly, like for me, even like good double IPAs, IPAs and stuff like that, like if, if anything under 34 degrees, you don't taste. So like, that's why I was kind of joke, like with like Coors Light and those beers, everyone's like, oh, you want a refreshing ice cold beer? And I'm like, yeah, because you can't taste it when it's 33 degrees, which is probably how you want to drink it. Because as soon as it gets Very warm, true. it doesn't taste good anymore. Like and that, that's like that bush light over there. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, because like that, then now you can taste it and now it's not good. Um, but like an IPA, like you want them to get up into like, you know, you open them cold, pour it in a glass. Like a lot of the glasses you find for like IPAs, they're really thin, thin glass because mm-hmm. it allows that, you know, allows them to warm up a little quicker. Um, but you want them like that, you know, 40, 42 degrees is like a good temperature. I mean, you go to Europe, they're not going to serve you cold beer. So it's, <coughs> I was going to say, I remember, <coughs> I remember going to some places in Ireland when I was there and it was same thing. It wasn't like as cold as you'd find over here. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was cold, but it was like, it's cellar it was, temp. 
Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was just above what you would consider room temperature. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, what they, it's, they consider it cellar temperature, yeah. which and that's like for aging beers. It's like 55 degrees is like perfect temp. No light, 55 degrees. They're going to, they'll be okay. So the, the actual brewing process that you've been doing, like what do you kind of, what kind of beers are you playing around with? What do you like to, what's kind of like your, where's your area of focus, I guess, with that? Uh, we kind of, so when we were doing it, um, like I said, it's been, it's probably been over a year and a half since we brewed. Um, we really kind of just ran all over the map. We were like, hey, what what, what do we want to do next? And we would just figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our fir- the first one we brewed and the one we brewed the most often uh, was we actually turned, we gave it its own term. So we call it a, it's a CSB. It's a Canadian special bitter. Okay. So English special bitter is like its own style of beer. Um, but ours had this, for some reason, had this weird note. So it kind of tasted a little bit like a, like, so like Molson and Labatt have a different, even though they're the same type of beer as most like domestic Americans, yep. there's a different flavor for them. And it had that weird kind of like a little bit more malty flavor to them. So, uh, but it had this like caramel note that you find in ESBs. So we, that was our, our Canadian special bitter. Uh, so we brewed that one. We've done probably five or six uh, versions of that. And that was actually like really good like it. easy and smooth uh it was like 5.7 percent how many runs at that did it take um honestly the so the funny thing is is uh you know we we got really lucky i think both myself and my friend jason who i brew with were really really like borderline ocd on mm-hmm. like the science stuff and like and, and the cleanliness and all that uh so like we were like hyper focused on like sanitation so we've actually we we have yet there's no wood here. I'd, I'd knock on something. I'd knock on my head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, but there, you know, we, we have yet to have a batch that's gone bad on us. So like everyone we've brewed has been a, at least a quality beer. Like there haven't been any infections or horrible things like that. Um, there's a couple that weren't as good as other ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, we did the, the ESB, the CSB. Uh, we also did, uh, I think the favorite one that I brewed though, was we did a, uh, a breakfast stout and we actually used, um, so we use mostly spring water, but we use like, I think a half gallon of, uh, uh, sap, like okay. actual, like straight, like sap instead of water. Uh, and then we also did, uh, what you call it breakfast stout? Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, a breakfast stout. Um, that one actually, came, it actually came in pretty potent because that one came in, I think at like eight, eight point seven or 8.8%. Um, and it was all there, but it was like, how, how do you test how, how much? the alcohol is like like how would you know it came in at that percentage so it's a they you do do what's called specific gravity so basically you measure the the specific gravity prior to putting any yeast in Mm -hmm. Uh, so you get whatever that the specific gravity is compared to water Um, and then you measure it once you've actually pitched the yeast and you get to the when it's finished brewing you can take another and usually you'll take a few tests in between to make sure like it's it's going right um and then at the end, you get your, your final specific gravity once it's finished brewing. And between and the difference between those, there's a, an equation you figure out. And it'll tell you about like what your uh, alcohol by volume is. Can you – so when you're when you're brewing, say you want to get to, let's say, a 6. And you mm-hmm. want to avoid getting to an 8. Do you just stop at 6? Or you're like, listen, this still has to brew. And we mm-hmm. made a mistake leading up. I know nothing about brewing. So like yeah. do we make a mistake leading up to it or we should have made a change, you know – weeks or months ago or is it one where like no we can just go and as soon as we hit the number we want we just start stop the process yeah you can do that so you can actually kill the kill the uh, um, the fermentation <laughs> process if you have to 
Um, normally it's, you know, it's have knowing an idea and like what the, the viability of the yeast is, you know, how strong that's going to go is it, how's it going to be? Um, you know, you can usually figure a lot of that stuff out ahead of time before you brew. Um, and then you kind of use that to figure out where you want to be. Um, you know, a lot of what we've done, we've really kind of followed some recipes that we found online and kind of like, we, you know, we've played around with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, you know, we try and follow the recipe. So it gives us a fairly good idea on, uh, you know, on where we should end up. So like a breakfast stout, what's that, what's the characteristics of that? So usually they're going to have some nice, like coffee notes to it. Okay. Um, yeah. Like the one you pulled up founders CBS, this is, that's a great beer. Their Canadian breakfast stout. Cause that's similar to what we did. They actually used some maple syrup in it. Okay. Um, ours, we just used sap. We didn't use the actual finished syrup. Um, but they're going to have some coffee notes. Um, so strong coffee, some chocolate and some caramel in there. Usually, um, usually fairly sweet, really kind of heavy bodied. Mm-hmm. So it's got a real, like some thickness to it. Um, but yeah, they're going to have that real, really roasted malt flavor. There's not going to be a lot of that bitterness. It's going to be more on that malt end. So it's a lot more sweeter than you're going to find like with, uh, like IPAs and stuff. So when you, like, if you had to pick a beer, like what kind of beer do you gravitate towards just to drink? Like is it IPA? Do you go into like the breakfast stout? Uh, it depends on the time of year. Okay. Right? You know, I think you're a seasonal the, guy. Yeah. You know, during the summer, um, you know, if I'm going to be outside all day, I'm probably going to go with something nice and light, like a lager. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm going to be, you know, having a couple beers and just relaxing, I'll probably go with like an, a, you know, a decent IPA. Um, once you get in towards like fall time, um, you know, still to this day, one of my favorites is still Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Love it. Every yeah. single year, have yeah. to buy it and see what it tastes like that year. Yeah. Um, but like that, that style, like Mars and um, that, that, those are always great. Um, once I get into winter. Stouts. Move into the stouts, the barley wines, the porters, the real heavy, kind of, you know, potent beers. Yeah, and then uh, you know they're, they're you know, they kind of joke they're like a winter warmer. It's a perfect beer for it. Well, I was gonna say it's funny how things like again you mentioned wine. Like I drink, I love red wine. If I had to pick one kind of wine, it's red, red versus white. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. you can go down like cabs and, and things inside, but if I go red and white, I'm, I'm typically red. Summer though, I want white. Like I just like it's temperature though. It's like I want to chill mm-hmm. like white wine. I want to have it. You know, anything after probably labor day ish and it's like oh it's starting to get a little chill i want red wine with steak yep. or whatever um or even just pair it up with different meals where you know, i think it just works but yep. same thing like oktoberfest love ipas i can drink pretty much throughout the entire year mm-hmm. there's not like but i also one of my favorite beers just a straight up krona extra just like give me a krona extra summertime yep. like tonight grilling probably the same thing just have like one of those or two of those where you're grilling just because they're light and you just like drink them yeah but uh yeah, I think in the winter I go more IPAs. Stouts, I'm not a major fan of, mm-hmm. just because again it's like I'm, I haven't like dove into it. It's like uh, totally the other day bourbon. Like I had bourbon on one of the last podcasts. I was like, my it was actually pretty good, but I mm-hmm. have to have bourbon on the rocks. I can't just drink straight bourbon. Like yeah. I just don't have that taste. Like whiskey, I like bourbon better than whiskey, even mm-hmm. though they're, I know they're kind of the same. But I guess don't tell people that from Kentucky. But it's like when you get the I find like whiskey, I don't have as much, I don't like the taste as much as I do a bourbon. I think yeah. the bourbon has a little better, um, I, I just like that, like I have a better palate for that, but it's, mm-hmm. I haven't grown into that where like I got into wine like pretty early. I remember like early twenties, I, I like started drinking dry reds. Mm-hmm. I don't like sweet. If you're like, oh, you drink dry red, I'm like right to it. Like rip the bandaid off, go right to the yeah. hardcore stuff. And I've, I've loved <laughs> it since. Beer, it's like you kind of work your way in and IPA yeah. is really, I mean, they've taken off more probably in the last, what, 10 years like yeah, kind of to 10, the level we see them now or the availability we've seen them now. Like mm-hmm. now you go into blazes and there's just, they're stocked That's full. That's all there is. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I like them. And so then you get all the people that are like snobby, like, oh, like they're not good anymore. I'm like, I, they st- I like, I, I'll drink yeah. what I like. Like it's. Exactly. And IPAs, I don't think are going away because I still like the flavor. Um, But yeah, no, it's good. So 
music, I'm going to go in like order that I think is cool down to not cool. <laughs> Meaning the Philadelphia Eagles may not get any airtime on this, but uh, that, that's fair. Are you going to dispatch for music? Uh, yeah. Are you going to Shelburne? Oh yeah. Okay. Hit yeah. Me, I'm going. So just hit me up. Yeah. Yeah. We, well, we were at um, uh, Guster as well. Both Over Shelburne? Yeah. Both nights we were there um, when they canceled both nights. They canceled both nights? Yeah. Uh, first night was because of the flooding. So that was the, oh. so like that was that Thursday was like the week of the floods. Mm-hmm. So they were like, Hey, we're, you know, just, you know, this isn't the right time for the show. Um, so we were literally on the ferry when we got the note that they canceled. Um, so it was our, myself, uh, two of our friends and their daughter. And we were like, Oh, well, we'll just go and, you know, and with everything going on, it, the, the state was pretty, you know, everything over there was pretty slow. So we ended up, we just went and ate at Looney's instead. And we're like, at least we got a reservation. So, yeah. um, but we went and had dinner and, uh, Went back on Friday and got there and uh, Bread and Puppet opened the show and Bread and Puppet got through their thing and literally like as soon as they finished, there was a lightning strike within a mile. Oh my God. So they sent everyone out. They evacuated the evacuated the venue uh, and then literally like, like the weather cars. just got worse. So it was just like by uh, we were there till like eight o'clock and we're like, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. Uh, so we took off. Have you seen Guster so, before? Yeah. Yeah. We actually saw that. We actually caught them uh, two years ago. Uh, they played at the church on Church Street. They did an acoustic set. Oh, really? At the top was, of the hill? Yeah. And it okay. was like there were probably 120 people in the show. And it was fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Because um, you went to Twiddle also. Yep. Um, which I didn't think was a good show. Uh, honestly, I think... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the opening band now. Um weekend um oh one weekend or one yeah, opening weekend or uh, one day weekend or whatever yeah 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 they 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 stole the show those guys were great <laughs> that that was that was actually like i, I was like man i'm impressed with these kids well, yeah, well, they're they're fantastic and i i like twiddle i've learned twiddle from you know one time Je- weekend Je- one time we, i think you're right yeah jen and, and and chris like him and so i got into them like they're, they're good and mm-hmm. i like their music Went to watch the show. I'm like, Ugh. like it, it wasn't bad. I mean, it was yeah. good, but it, it wasn't like a lot of the songs they liked. And they got like mm-hmm. it was. I don't mind jam. Like I like jam bands. Yeah, it was too jammy for me. Like mm-hmm. at that show because some of the songs too. I'm like, I, like at least if you're jamming a song that I know, I'll, I'll like kind of. Okay. It'll be. You Get know what I mean? It. I'll be a little bit more into it. Like if you're gonna jam on something long, they started out with the song I like, and then they jammed in. I'm like, this is great. And they went yeah. 30 minutes into some other songs and came back to it. I'm like, ah, like take that like middle section, which yeah. fine, it, it's yeah. each their own, but. Um, you know who I wrote like a lot is, um, which I've got in, f- same thing from Jen, but um, Mahali, the lead singer, just mm-hmm. his band. Oh, yeah. I am way more into that than than Twiddle. I think his band's better. Yeah. I think his band's better. It's more my style, but they have the horns. They have, you know, mm-hmm. they have, uh, I, I feel like there's jam, but there's more like jam within a song. And that's why like like last week or two weeks ago, two, uh, two weekends ago, we went down to SPAC for DMB. Yep. And my favorite band. And like we go down. And I like that they jam, but it's not like all jam, and they jam within the song. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know the context of the song, and they don't go into five other songs and come back out into a song. Which, yeah. and again, I love the dead. The dead yeah. do that, and I, I just think yeah. it's great. But I do like the idea of like, hey, if you're gonna jam to a song, and even if it's a, a 16 to 18 minute song, awesome. But you know that they're still in the song, and you can still hear mm-hmm. the song. And yeah, you, the the nuances of yeah. like the certain beats and, it's like and they, certain patterns. It's kind of like through. going around the horn. You just kind of like throw the ball back and forth. But it's like, yeah. okay, you take it, and then you take it, and you take it. And I just love how it builds and builds and builds. That's the kind of like jam stuff I like. Yeah. Dispatch doesn't do a lot of jamming. No. But I love Dispatch. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, were, you at, uh, were you at the Dispatch OARG Love Show in yeah. uh, SPAC? So... I was. Yep. 
Because Mahali actually joined them which for I didn't, part of their set. And at the time, I didn't really know much about Mahali. And yeah. again, Jen, because anytime I think of Mahali, I think Jen. So she, yeah. she texts me. She's like, look who's going to be there. He's saying, he actually sang, did he sing Casey Jones with G-Love? Yeah, I think so. So they did, which, and I've seen G-Love open for like Jack Johnson back in the yep. day. And I've seen him at a couple I things. Love, I love G-Love. Yeah, G-Love's great. He and and uh, like one of my favorite songs that him and Jack did was Rodeo Clowns. Oh, yeah. Still to this day, one of my favorite songs. Yep. And uh, so they opened up, they played. And I didn't really, uh, I, at the time, I didn't get to appreciate Mahali as much, but I've seen him probably play three times now at this point um, within basically the last calendar year. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the worst. Did I say I'm gonna say worst in quotations? It wasn't bad. It was the worst dispatch show I've ever been to because they split. Yeah. And I've seen OAR separate. I've seen Dispatch separate. Mm-hmm. And I love both of them. They're two yeah. really good ba- bands I like. My only thing is like I felt like both sets were kind of incomplete because they had to have a modified set because they had to try to bring them yeah. in. Yeah. And then I found that the collaborations at the end when they started playing together, but they were playing like like REM. I'll be honest, I don't really remember the end of the night. So <laughs> like at one point I'm sitting there, I'm like, why? So I ended up starting up in the upper decks. Yeah. We were inside, started the upper decks, ended the show in like this little like private box area because I had buddies that were there that I kind of mm-hmm. hooked up with. I'm like, yeah, come down. I just I went jumped in with them. Yeah. Watched probably the last like six songs there. And at one point, one of the people in the booth is, like holding up a card. I'm like, well, why she got cards? That's weird. Obviously, I'm, like I should know this. Yeah. But so they just were playing crazy game of poker. And all of a sudden, like they were like throwing cards out in the crowd, I guess. I don't remember. I'm like, I don't remember the ending. Like it was, yeah. it, it was a, let's just say I had a lot of IPAs that night, but it was, it was a fun, the music's great. Yeah. I thought, I thought the set list overall wasn't great because it was modified set list yeah because it was it was like a shortened show for both all the bands that were involved you didn't get like a full show from anybody but if you saw like you were at the last shelburne one we went to like year, three four years ago yep dispatch played that was a fantastic set yeah and then i saw them at thompson's point the following year or later that year whatever it was that was a fantastic set mm-hmm. and then i've seen them play um i saw their free show down at killington yep and then i, I went out um which this is still my favorite show of theirs because we went out in 2011 when they they sold out TD Garden three nights in a row. And I went mm-hmm. to one of the shows. I forgot which one. But that was with – Pete was still playing. So they had the three original guys. It was just the three guys on stage. Yeah. So that one I was like, this is awesome. And that's the only time I've ever saw the original band play. And then yep. since then it's been you know the, the three guys they've added to it. Yeah. Um, Actually, I love I, – I had a great time at the SPAC one. And honestly, the same thing. There, were, there, were, there was way too much beer involved in that. But – all yeah, I, the, the best part about it was the fact that like uh, after G Love played and he was like, "Hey, I'm going to be up at the the merch tent after," so we're like, All "Oh, right. did you see him?" So we went and saw him. So oh, we got nice. we got a picture with him, got to talk with him for like four or five minutes, like and actually like hang out. Like he was like the chill, like coolest guy. Like he was just like, yeah, he's like, I want to be around the people that are my fan. The best part was the fact, and of course, and you you won't appreciate this, but I had my Eagles hat on. And him being from Philly, I was gonna say he's a Philly guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was like, I love the hat because it was the like the vintage old school Phillies logo. And he was like, dude, I love your hat. I'm like, well, thanks, man. I'm like, we appreciate your music. He's like, awesome. And uh, yeah, I, got, I actually got to tell him a story about. Uh, so it's like, you know, it's one of those. You know, it's not a tearjerker, but um, my grandfather, when he passed away several years ago, um, we had uh, you know had the had the funeral. Did the like thing afterwards where everyone got together to a restaurant. We all kind of like, you know, the celebration of life type thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and afterwards, like I, you know, 
I, he was probably one that I had a hard time with because I grew up with him. Yeah. Like I, you know, yeah. spent a lot of time with him, knew him really well, was really close with him. And uh, I got in my car and I think I had, I actually had G Love CD in the CD player. And the first song that come on, that came on was uh, Everything's Gonna Be All Right. And I was just like, that got me. Yeah. Then I'm sitting in my car. Did you tell G Love this? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I told him this story, and I was like, that. I was like, that got me. I was like, I made it through the funeral, made it through the celebration, made it through all that stuff. I was fine. I sat down in my car, start playing, and that song comes on. Yeah. And I'm like an eight year old kid that just got hit in the face with a baseball. Like, yeah. Just crying. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. Caught myself after you know got home, but I was like, yep, I need I needed that just to, as a release, and I was and I told him, and I was like, that was that was perfect. So we actually got an autographed vinyl, and he was That's like, so cool. "He's like, uh, he's like, well, what do you want to, you know, what do you want to put on there?" I was like, yeah, yeah, "Throw some song lyrics on." So we wrote down. He was like, "Everything's gonna be all right." Love G Love, and that's I'm like, awesome. "Perfect." Like that seems awesome. like a good dude. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got like three or four friends that have met him, you know, randomly, and they're just like, "Dude, he's like one of like the coolest guys out there, like in the music scene." Like, and he been just around wants to... a long time. Oh yeah, yeah he, he's been to it for he's, years. He's one guy too that like never. Like I think cracked like the real high level, yeah. But he's always kind of stayed in this general area, yeah. which is like with a lot of these well-known mm-hmm. bands, yeah. But I feel like he settles into that, and I think he, I think, and he's happy with it. Like, yes, correct. And I think he loves the collaboration with those guys, and like yeah. he's got his own music, and I think it's great. Mm-hmm. But I do think he, he likes the aspect of like jamming with people and guests appearing yeah. and doing stuff. Because and again, you think these guys they play the same songs over and over, it keeps it fresh for him, and I mm-hmm. think he collaborates on a lot of stuff. And I think for I think for some of those guys, he's like, this is just what I like to do, yeah. and I feel like he kind of like understands what he likes and just yeah. owns it and just sit and like, because I've seen him open now probably for compl- like three or four completely different bands. Mm-hmm. I mean, all kind of in the same genre. Yeah. But he opens for them, and it's like I'm like, oh, like there's at least a legit opener opening. Yeah. You know, someone that you know I want to actually see. Well, and like he's one of those guys too. Like you, you could see him at a restaurant here in Plattsburgh. Yeah. And and one, it's the fact that he would like literally just go out and like have some go out to eat someplace and not even like bother to like any fanfare or anything like that. But most people wouldn't even recognize him either. Out of context, I think I would I want it. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe it would. Yeah, it's always tough like when things are out of context because yes. like, then you get into the thing where it's like, like is, is that does it just is, look like him? Is that so? Like, and I've known, I've done this with friends. Like, we look at someone and you're like. I'm like 99% certain that's them, but like yeah. they're at this thing that I never thought I would see them at. So I'm like, maybe it's not. It'd be weird to be like, hey, but yeah. then it's also weird to not say something. So then you're in that weird spot. You're like, ah, yeah. I don't know what to do. Um, yeah, I was looking for the set list for Dispatch. I don't think this isn't their full set list, but they did cover Friend of the Devil, which I love. Um, and then CCR, that was a great, but that mm-hmm. they played more than that. Yeah. They probably played what fifteen songs? Um, maybe twelve. Twelve, like, yeah. There wasn't around twelve. It wasn't like I don't think it was like a full on set, but yeah. Um, yes, because some of these they don't have like great set lists that you can. Um, you know, you know what's actually a really good one. Maybe this will be better. Do you know archive.org? Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah. So archive.org is. Oh yeah, so fifteen. This is it. Yeah. Yep. This is it. So open up, which is an awesome opening song. Yeah. Only the Wild Ones were one of my top... Actually, that one came on... Was the last album? And that one is probably in my top three all-time songs by Dispatch. Like, I love that song. Yeah. Skin the Rabbit's great. Break or Fall. Break or Fall was okay. Not mm-hmm. my favorite, but it's good. Bang Bang, one of my all-time favorites. Pair of a Friend yeah. of the Devil, which is one of my all-time favorite dead songs. Yep. Pass the Falls is as old school as you get. Yep. That is on the first album, right? Pass yeah. the Falls. Yeah. Painted Yellow Lines, I actually do like that. Out Loud, which I love. Don't Let Me Down. That's Yeah, they just kind of 
added that mm-hmm. at the end. But um, out loud's great. Passer, so passerby, out loud, open up the general, flying horses, Elias, um, bang bang. I think I said bang bang. Yeah. Those were like hard high school years. Like passerby, old school, general, old school. Yeah. Like um, I wish they would play uh, Silent Steeples. They haven't yeah. played that in a long time, yep. uh, but that's a great song, especially when just three of them used to just jam on the acoustics. Mm-hmm. Um, Flying Horse is one of my all-time favorite songs. Yep. I actually looked up Flying Horses is, is about a carousel out in Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. And I didn't realize that. And when you start to hear the lyrics and I read about it, I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But it's a cool story how they yeah. tied it into that. Elias, Elias is, is probably their biggest anthem song. Like El- Elias is one of those songs like yeah. they just – I that that one's like I want to say it's like super emotional, but it's one of those songs like it's a powerful song. Yeah, like with the the lyrics and the music yep. and just the way they jam on it. Um, see, I wasn't. It's the end of the world, not my favorite, but they actually came back out and played that with OAR. Yeah, towards the end, Letter to Lady J, I don't mind, but they've been playing that a lot towards the end, like as a closer. But mm-hmm. it's not my favorite closer. No, like I if you're gonna close, like close with. Elias would be a great closer. Yep. You know, Flying Horses would be a great closer. Yep. I think you got to go something big at the end. Like, I love Bang Bang. I don't think that's a closer, but Bang Bang is one of my yeah, all-time that's, favorites. Yeah, that's a that's a mid that's a mid set song. One of my favorite ones I've never heard live is Hey Hey. Remember that song? Yeah. Oh yeah. And that um, that that one I used to wear out. I don't know if I can play this. I don't, I don't think we get like you would you would know this song. It's kind of fast paced. It's like real railway. Um, is it railway railroad railway? Hey, hey, let's go this one, bootleg version. So th- this w- this is probably a top, this might be a top five song for me. I've never heard it live, though. Mm-hmm. How do I, okay, wait. There you go. This is also weird, because those guys in that photo aren't the guys in the band. No. The chat is on the left. Yeah. I don't know who the other two are. That's not the. That's weird. Isn't that weird to have those three guys there? That's why it's a. That's why it's a bootleg video. <laughs> you know the song, right? Oh yeah. I don't think yeah. that's live version. No. Phil Kagi. This is from Hatch though. Ah man, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's. Is that Pete? What? That's not Pete. What? What is this? This must have been right before Mike yeah. and Steve. Why did they say Pete? Oh, Pete must have wrote it. Yeah. No, I think uh, this looks like the band. That looks like old school Chad right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, two, Chad with the dreads. Two thousand. Brad this with is, long this hair. Is, this is throwing it way back. Wow, I want to save this. I'm gonna watch this yeah. one later. Yep. No, I don't think. I, but look I, at these guys. I mean, what, they were probably still in Middlebury right at this point. Maybe yeah. Just out. Yeah. I mean, two thousand. Yeah. Two thousand. Would have been like right around. Or they like, went. I don't know. Either case, I'm a massive dispatch guy. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever see him back then? Like um, pre-2004? I I didn't get to see him. I don't him think I saw him back then. then. I think I, I think the first time I saw him was probably around 2008, 2009. Um, and I'm trying to think where it was. Well, I think between that time, they did MSG in 07. Yeah. They, and they came back, and I think they did the Kennedy Center in 09. And I don't yeah. know if they played any time before 11. 11 was when they yeah. first came back out. Because I was... I, I, I used to listen to them, and I was like, they're just they're yeah, done. Maybe, they're not touring. This sucks. And yeah. in 2011, they're like, oh, we're actually getting back together. I'm like, yeah. hell yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it was probably, so it was probably right around that 2011 when they came back out. Yeah, because they had a pretty big tour that year. They yeah. went down, I think, to um, – they also did a show down in uh, Red Bull Arena. 
down mm-hmm. in Jersey. So maybe it was, I don't know if that was 11, maybe that was 12 or 13, yeah. but either case, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, no, I think the, and, and for me too, the other big thing is, is always like the venues too. Like the venue makes such a difference. What's your favorite venue? Do you have one? Oh, man. Like, um, I love SPAC. I mean, I, I just think SPAC. So I, I like SPAC. I do. There, there's something about SPAC I like because it's kind of, it feels more like a, um, like a community, depending on like who you're seeing there, obviously. But um, honestly, like one of my favorite places is probably still like Shelburne Farms. Like I love that, well, that space yeah. and that environment. Um, there's something about that that I just have a great appreciation for. I, I was actually going to say, I mean, Shelburne is great. We went to Thompson's Point. Thompson's Point was cool too mm-hmm. because you're down by the water down in Portland. But the, the thing with Shelburne, it's an amphitheater. So it's not even yeah. an amphitheater. It's just the hillside. It's just a natural... Yeah, you it's say like, yeah, it's like red rocks, you know. It's like yeah. that same thing. Like it's just a naturally occurring formation. It just happens to work out and there's perfectly a, well. There's literally not a bad seat there. No, just sit. You're gonna no. see the stage perfectly. No, I mean, like nobody's in the, front of you. One of the best shows I saw was uh, was tragically hip at Shelburne Farms. Ah, oh, damn. Was probably my f- I and love honestly hip. and only and, and only because of that show, um, I remember it because it's like absolutely, um, you know, one, one of those ones you just they never play. Um, they did. Um, and of course, my brain's gonna fail me now. Um, I wonder if I can get the setup here. So, what year was this? This would have been God, um, seven years ago. Um, like uh, this is the other thing too. Like OAR set list that night was kind of garbage. Not a bad. It wasn't bad, but there was it wasn't great. Fiddler's Green. Thank you. That was yeah. They uh, it would. That was the first time oh, in like Fiddler's years they amazing. played Fiddler's Green, which is like my favorite song. song by them. And uh, I remember I was like, we're sit- we're sitting like right in the, like we got in there early. We were sitting like right like where they like cut off. You can have like chairs and stuff. So like there's like all the, you know, there's standing space in front, but there's like, you know, maybe a hundred feet where you're not allowed to have chairs. And we were like the first row where you could have chairs and stuff to sit. And of course we're all just standing there. And, um, he was like, yeah, he's like, so, uh, you know, Gord goes on. He's like, yeah, we don't, we don't really play this one very often, but, uh, you know, we felt it's, yeah, it's right time there. to bring it back out. Fiddler, 2009. Yeah. And, uh, uh New Orleans is sinking is one of my favorite oh, yeah. songs. Yeah. But he started as, as soon as I heard that first note from Fiddler's hey, Green, I was like uh, literally like front row center. Cause I'm like, this is like, this is my song. I something about that song that I absolutely love. Gift shop poets, um, Bobby Cajun. They play, oh yeah, Bob Cajun, fully, I mean, com- uh, fully completely is not bad, but um, yeah. Courage, yep. Fiddler's Green's amazing. Yeah. Music Award, Blow Up High Doe is one of my favorites. Yeah. Locked in the Trunk of I mean, like literally they, and that's the thing, like I have every single album. Wow. I think I've got half of them on vinyl and I've you got read all the, of them Was on. it Philadelphia Fink or something? What's the newest one? Uh, Saskadelphia. Saskadelphia. Saskadelphia, like, yep. Because that was all old stuff they recorded and they put, it was post, yep. like they did after it Gore after Gore they stopped. Yeah. yeah. Yep. How do you like that album? Because that was their old um, it's stuff. Good. It's all them, yeah, right? It's like it's, your, it's like the old, old like Road Apples era. Yeah, like real old school. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, like that's one of those bands that I look and I'm just like, you know, people either appreciate them or they don't, which I get. But I'm like, as far as like, I'm one of the people that appreciates them. I'm like, they're they're. I, I don't think I've ever heard a bad song. I and love it, Wheat Kings too. Oh, Wheat Kings is fantastic. Yeah. and it's one of those. And and they're those. They're they're a band where, you know, a lot of times you go to a concert. And you feel like the crowd is energizing the band. Yeah. You know, like they're getting energy. They're pulling the energy from the crowd and that's what's getting them going. Yeah. And then you go and you watch a band like Tragically Hip and it's like Gord just exudes energy into the crowd. Yeah. Like he's the point of energy. You know, when you yeah. watch them play and you're just like, it's incredible. Did you so, watch you watch the documentary? Um, 
No, I haven't actually watched that one. I, um, you know about it though? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know some people can't watch it. Like they're like, I'm, yeah. I mean, I was at I was at the second to last show. Um, when in they Ottawa? Were, their their last two were up in Ottawa. Yeah, my brother and, in law um, went there too. Yeah, and that was that was just it was like heartbreaking. Yeah, because like you know what's going on, like it's out there. You know it's the last I, time they're touring and playing, and it's like you're like this is the last time we're going to see this band. I live. think there's one guy, a local guy, went to uh, Kingston for the final show, yep. and they said like they came out like seven times for like an encore or something oh, yeah. crazy. Like they just kept coming out. Yeah. Like, they played every song they well, knew. Like, uh, I think I watched. I watched it on the uh, live BBC, CBC, or CBC. Yes, yeah, yeah, CBC. CBC had it because yep. they were like, the, you know, they are Can- they, you know, they are Canada, you know. So they were like, they had the live broadcast of like the whole show, nationally broadcast. And uh, yeah, we wa- I watched the, that show. the uh, The documentary was pretty good, though. It, it's very like, yeah, it, it's a tearjerker. But it, it's if you like the band, it's very well done. Yeah, yep, long time running. Yep. Yeah, and I mean they just talk about like Gord like having to relearn lyrics, mm-hmm. like just didn't know the lyrics. Like yeah. you know, it's sad to see, but it's like yeah, you also give the guy. I'm like the guy just went out on top. Just, oh yeah, you know what he I mean. Like, like he didn't stop until it was the end, and then it was like okay, time to go. And it's crazy. The other guys just stopped. They're like, all right, we're good. Yeah, like I mean, just done. That was her band. Like we're good. Yeah, I mean, without you know, they're like, hey, you know what? We're we were a band, and without one of our members, we're we're not that band. You see a lot of like, I always find like think of all the bands that have just been playing it, and I and again, I think a lot of it. I mean, obviously, you lose like a lead singer. It's very hard to replicate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I take Dave, like Dave, they now have three original members out of, and they got seven guys that typically tour. Yeah, um, and the other guys are just, I mean. World class musicians yeah, and Tim, Timmy Reynolds is still playing, and Tim, Tim's yeah. been around since the beginning. But um, we start looking at that like, if something ever happened to Dave or something ever happened to Carter, you know, then I would then it's like, well, is the band dead? I mean, the band probably would be as the Dave Matthews band would probably be dead. Yeah. Same thing you see with the dead, they went mm-hmm. from Grateful Dead to Dead to Dead and Company. It's kind of like, well, we still got a couple of the guys, let's now call a new band, bring in John yeah. Mayer, and let's play. Yeah, and now they're done, but you're still like, Bob Weir is actually gonna be at Shelburne. Yeah, so which I kind of was like, eh, I may want to go to that, but um. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, so those guys are still touring, and Bob's in great shape. So, I yeah. mean, it's, you know, depending on how long, you know, they want to go. But mm-hmm. you got to think, Dead & Company's been going, what, eight years now? Yeah. Which well, is quite a, a long time to tour as, like, not even the original, you know, oh, yeah. six. Well, it's, like, the hardest thing is, like, you've got, you know, all of these these artists that are kind of, like, the, that, that aging artist group that you're, like, you how many more like, shows? I got to, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I yeah. went and saw, um, watched Roger Waters last year. Yeah. So from you know Pink Floyd, they're yeah. like, like still to this day they are they are my all time favorite band, and so like I never got a chance to see Pink Floyd like as Pink Floyd. Yeah. Um, so when Roger Waters was touring, I was like, well, I'm like, I can't see Pink Floyd, but yeah, you're you're crazy if you think I'm not gonna go see whatever part of it that I can see. Um, you know, but then I look like Willie Nelson. Like I'm like I who's gotta, ninety by the way. Gotta go see Willie Nelson. Have you seen him before? No. I've never seen Willie. No, I've never seen him live, and I'm like, I feel like I'm like, I have to go see him because God forbid, like anything. I mean, like I saw, uh, I you know, I went and saw Chris Cornell solo, oh, that'd um, be cool. a year and a half before he, before he died. Yeah, you know, and it was like, thank God, because like that he was like the voice of my generation growing up. You know, I mean, I was you know like that, I was that coming of age in like the grunge yeah. era, like in yeah. the in early '90s. So like Chris Cornell, you know, Eddie Vedder. You know, those, you know, those guys were all the, like the voice of that generation for music for me. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I hadn't seen Eddie, you know, or if I hadn't seen Chris before that happened, I'd be like, "You, you must have seen sucks. Pearl Jam." Oh yeah, yep. um, Foo Fighters. Yep. Um, see, Pearl Jam. I've, I've never seen either of those two bands. I would love yeah. to. Just like Pearl Jam is fantastic. I yeah, saw them I in wanna, Philadelphia. Yeah. Actually, ended up, we got VIP tickets, so we were like right down front, like 
20 feet from stage. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a great show. Um, you know, it was crazy. So I was watching, so I'm just looking at Pink Floyd. They started what in 64. Oh yeah. David Gilmore, Roger Waters, obviously those are like the two that I know the best, but like Nick, Sid, Barrett, Richard. Um, so when they ended up, uh, so I started listening to, and I listened on Sirius, so Grateful Dead played at Cornell. Like mm-hmm. They had the, like the remake of the 70s. It wasn't a remake. They played at Cornell, but it yeah. was a whole different set. And, of course, I'm just like, ah, I'm going to watch, listen to a little bit of this. I listened to all four hours of it. It yeah. was great. And um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like listening. And, of course, you're just listening to a lot of jam music. And I am doing a mass – I'm going down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. Yeah. So I pull up like whatever. I'm going down – so then I'm sitting there and I ended up coming across the crickets because one of the songs they covers by the crickets. And I'm like, I've heard the band. Who's mm-hmm. in the crickets? Go look at the crickets. Back from the 50s. Buddy, Hall, uh, uh, Buddy Holly's in it. And with like two other guys, I forgot the names, mm-hmm. whatever, happens. Buddy Holly obviously dies young. Yeah. Then you start realizing like the Buddy Holly effect across just rock and roll history to the point where like the Rolling Stones, the Beatles named their names after the crickets. They're yep. like, they're a bug. And then we're the Beatles, but they end up using beat instead of like, yeah. the actual Beatles term. Yeah. But then you start listening to it and like, holy crap. And this kid from, I think he was from Lublow, Texas, like he's Buddy Holly. And then you start like going down the deep rabbit hole. Like mm-hmm. the Stones were like, yeah, we that's who we listen to. Yeah. And ima- like imagine that and then the influence. And then obviously you see all these bands that were formed in the 60s. And then, you know, they obviously everybody keeps pushing the envelope and how mm-hmm. the music's changed. But the Stones still sell out, you know, like. Yeah. You know, obviously, Roger Waters still carries a crowd. Yep. You know, you get these bands that have just transcended generations and they just keep going. I went to the Dave concert. There's like little kids under 10 there. Mm-hmm. You have people in their 60s and 70s listening to them. And of course, yep. you have a bunch of our generation that are just like loving it. But you just look at the the just the level of musicianship and just like the people that still pack it. And like they're not on the radio. Like you're not mm-hmm. seeing them on mainstream, but they just – it's like the dead. You don't hear a dead song on the radio yeah. ever. You go to the concert and you, it's like you're – you're bidding to get tickets basically to go to oh, these yeah. shows because they just have this mass following. And I, I was thinking like, would you rather be a, and again, maybe I'm wrong on this. I don't really know her that well. Like, would you rather be like a Taylor Swift that is like, has, a, and I don't know really any of her songs anymore. I remember yeah. like teardrop on my guitar. Like that's the Taylor Swift I remember years ago. I, I actually know no Taylor Swift. Okay. So that was like her first big song. Like yeah. she was at the Clinton County or Essex County fair. Like okay. that was like back in the day. Yeah. Like, would you rather be that or would you rather be someone like the dead Pearl Jam, Dave, you yeah. know, the, the Stones that have had this like, like influence, cult, this, well, like on. this massive following that maybe weren't, well, I, I shouldn't say the Stones are obviously very mainstream, but take like the Grateful Dead. They were never a really mainstream band, mm-hmm. but they just have this really loyal base of followers. Like yeah. I would actually prefer to have that versus like a Taylor Swift. Oh yeah. If I had to be a band or like a Dave band, like you go there and everybody yeah. knows like. Well, I mean, is, isn't that the running joke that, that like there's only, re- there's really only like 40,000 Dave Matthews band and fans, just but they go to every show. Yeah. 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 And like, but you know, like a song, like they haven't played this song. Like, I don't know, last yeah. time I played a song, you look at it, they haven't played the song in 15 years. Yeah. Like, you can't say that about most, like bands now, one, mm-hmm. they haven't been around that long. But number two, they play the same songs over and over. And then yesterday, they played Baby Blue. He hasn't played that. I looked it up. 2012. Like, yeah. you're talking 13 years since he's played it live and just like happens just to pull it out. Yeah. Because they have hundreds of songs and they're all like, like, oh my God. And of course, when you follow a band. Yeah, you know what's been played. You know what's going on. But you on. have the appreciation because you're like, all yeah. right, like th- this is like yeah. deep, went, deep, deep cut. I went and saw uh, Tool last year. So Tool saw them in Philadelphia. How was that? Unbelievable. Was it? So I, the, that was that was a band like that. For me, that was like a huge one. I had, um, so, so I've, I've had tickets to see Tool eight different times. Eight times. Well, seven times prior to this one. I've had t- I had tickets to go see Tool 
And every one of those times I was unable to go to the show. So I missed tool seven times when I had tickets. Finally, this is the eighth time. And I finally actually got to go see them. Um, and I mean, yeah, it was incredible. We were, we were up on the, we were on the balcony in the first row. Um, just, you know, like probably 15 rows back from the stage. Where was this at? Uh, down in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, yeah. And it was just, it was, it was awesome to finally like actually get to see these guys play. Cause I mean, they're, they're one of those bands where I'm just like, they still boggle my mind. I mean, I, I played in a band in college. Um, you know, we, we did a ton of different covers. We covered like, we did sublime, we did three eleven. we did, uh, um, God, Rage Against the Machine. Like we covered a little bit of That's like great. all over the place. We did we did a punk version of House of the Rising Sun. Um, but like we did and all of those songs, like literally we'd be like, hey, let's play this song. And as a band, we'd sit down, we'd all like learn our parts, we'd come together, we'd play it. We're like, okay, that's pretty good. We'd practice it a couple more times and we had it down. Uh we did um 46 and 2 by Tool. We had to practice that song every <laughs> single night. Because of, like if we didn't like we lost it because of the way that like the the way that they create their music. I mean, you're trying to play four different instruments on four different time measures, like, and it but it weaves all back together. But when you're trying to like when you're playing guitar, you can't listen to the drums to get your like you're not on you're not with the drums, you're not with the bass, like you're doing your own thing, and it was just like. It was the hardest thing in the world, and I'm that's, like, and these guys do this on like every song. That, that's when you look at, you know, just just the, and again, I'll go back to Dave Matthews Band. Like that's that's a band that they just, they're all so damn good mm-hmm. that they go all over the place and they bring it back, and someone goes off. It's yeah. and like, and the one thing I like is, you know, they're playing, and it's like every single person throughout the show. Get, and this is actually very rare, I find in most bands, mm-hmm. like that. Every person in the show has m- multiple moments of like a solo or yeah. multiple moments where they can showcase their skills. And it's, yeah. and it's very much a band. And I think when you take all these people and, and pull them together, it like collectively, mm-hmm. like people obviously know Dave, but I'm like every single one on their own is a fantastic musician at, at their given whatever. Yeah. So when you just see them kind of like all move to the side and let someone just go and then like the crowd is losing their mind over mm-hmm. – the, you know, you know, Rashawn's playing the trumpet and people are losing their mind over a trumpet solo. Yeah. And then, you know, or Jeff, like Jeff came out for the, they opened up with a stone and Jeff did like a two, he's a saxophonist, did like a two minute solo mm-hmm. that was unbelievable to the point where he just like kept building this solo up and he was like blacked out playing. Like this guy yeah. was just in his zone. And, uh, and you can just see the band like just like vibing with it and like just kind of like feeding off, like you said, feeding off the energy. It's like, they get the crowd energy, but they're feeding off of each other. And you can yeah. just see at the end of the show, they're like high-fiving and fist-pumping because it's all new to them. Because they're just like, oh, let's just – this guy just went off. And they're just kind of like feeling it out and jam into it. And I, I yep. love the the improvisate or improvisation like during the show. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite shows we've ever been to. My wife's a massive Coldplay fan. We've seen Coldplay half a dozen times. Yeah, Coldplay is fantastic. Mm-hmm. My only gripe of Coldplay – their show is 90, their set list from show to show for the entire tour is 90% the same exact thing. Yeah. So we've seen them back-to-back nights before at the same venue. I'm like, great. Same show. 90% the same. I'm yeah. like, they open with the same song, second song was the same, third song was the same. Now, granted, the songs are great, the experience is great. It's just yeah. a very high-level energy. But besides going to like the C stage and playing like one or two like deep cuts, it was the same like songs. And mm-hmm. and I, I like showing up to 
venue and like showing up to no dispatch idea and being like, go I on. don't know what they're going to play. And I know every song. So th- I, this yeah. is going to be a treat. Yeah. And they're going to pull out Past the Falls. You'd be like, holy shit, they played Past the Falls. But yeah. that's kind of the, the that's kind of the bands I like where you can really get into their catalog, mm-hmm. understand, like, and this is not every band. I might only know, you know, maybe a dozen bands at this level. Yeah. But you start realizing a bunch of their songs. And when you go to their concert, like, I'm going to be happy no matter what. Yeah. And they might play a cover, but they play it in their style. I'm not a huge mm-hmm. cover guy. Like, I like it, but not huge. Yeah. I saw Zach. And Bre- it depends on what they do. I mean, that's yeah. like cover songs. Are, they're like the hardest thing in the world because if you, you can have... You can have the most incredible band play the worst cover of a song. Like they're, you know, it, it's so hard. And, and some songs, like, you just shouldn't cover. You know, there's some bands that I'm like, I'm sorry, but, like, the original was perfect. Why are you trying to, like, I get that you're trying to, like, create your own thing and, you know, put your own spin on this thing. And, you, and you're doing it out of this level of respect. But, like, there's some that I'm like, you just don't, don't so, do it. So this is, okay, let me see. This, um. I watched this yesterday. Um, and of course, this stuff just like happens to be like thrown in my face. I'm like, of mm-hmm. course, I'm going to hit it. I love this song right here. So, John Mayer, some people don't like him. Yeah. I like him. I actually saw him for the first time in Albany last year. My biggest thing, man, is that, and as, as most people don't realize that like the John Mayer they hear on the radio and real John Mayer musician are two different, like yeah. the John Mayer trio. Yeah as like a, a blues band is incredible. I'm not a big fan of John Mayer's like kind of pop style. Yeah. But like his blues music, like from the trio is absolutely incredible. Like I've played that for people before and they're like, you know, like I don't like John Mayer. And I'm like, Oh, you should hear this other band. And I play it and they're like, wow, these guys are really good. And I'm like, yeah, it's John Mayer. They're like what? What? So yeah. So John, so we saw him and we actually had a great set list when we went and watched him, but so I saw this the other day. So John Mayer performs American Pie, mm-hmm. which is one of my all-time favorite songs. Yeah. Don McLean, like just classic, classic song. So he ends up getting up, and obviously I'm not going to play the whole thing here. Yeah. Um, but he ends up playing the song. So here's the crazy thing about this. It is a 10-minute and 26-second segment. The song, the normal song's about eight minutes or yeah. so. Oh, yeah. Never repeats really any lyrics. I mean, the yeah. chorus, but there are so many verses yeah. that they ended up performing this song on a late show. We got to think like they get about what fifty minutes, maybe yeah. forty-five to fifty minutes because commercials. Mm-hmm. So you're saying out of the forty-five minutes you're on the air, you're gonna let ten minutes is a one song by John Mayer. They let him play the entire song, and John played it all the way through in it, yeah. like a style of John Mayer, but he didn't take away from the original. Mm-hmm. But like so. If you go, like it just, it is so good. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely John. He's got yeah. that little, yeah, like, he's got he's, the song. He's got, and they, but he's playing it like as a tribute to the original. He's not like, but I wouldn't doing say this is really weird. I wouldn't yeah. say this is a karaoke version at all. No. Because, but it's almost one where if you heard John sing this, you'd be like, this kind of sounds like his own song. Because yeah. he played it in such a cool style. I mean, it was his yeah. style. but And then, like, obviously, like, it is yeah. just an amazing version. So, of course, I watched mm-hmm. this all out. I saw it. I'm like, hmm. Like, one, I love American Pie. But I'm like, let yeah. me. I got to listen to this. And they played the whole song. And, like, that is absolutely incredible. One of the best covers I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean there are there's some there's some great cover songs out there, and there's some that are just like why why would you do this? Um, yeah, you know, like I, being a huge Pink Floyd fan, like there was a couple that I've heard that I'm just like, you you should literally just be like removed from the the, the lexicon of music for covering that song. Like, um, yeah, th- there's flops. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's like you go back to I, I heard this again, Dave Matthews Band. They talk about like um, uh, all along the Watchtower. They've been covering mm-hmm. all along the Watchtower since like '91, '92 yeah. when they first started. And someone said, I think I think the version was Dylan wrote it, Hendrix popularized it yeah matthews perfected it like that's yeah. kind of the idea behind it is like but you can see how like people have added their own spin on this like mm-hmm. you know and i would say when um i mean not fade away again it's a cricket song you listen to it, it's like it's a two-minute song or like like what like the lyrics they go through it really really quick and then the stones covered it it was like a little quicker and then the dead was like we're gonna take that two-minute song and jam on it for 25 minutes yeah but they made it really cool and yeah. like i actually they played it the only concert i've ever seen them look this is the dead not dead and company yeah um so when they had like Phil Lesh was still playing and Bob and, Bi- and Billy and, and mm-hmm. Mickey, they were all playing and they played that song. And it was like such a great song, but it's just so different than the original. You hear the original and you're like, I can't believe that. Yeah, the lyrics are the same, but yeah. there's almost nothing else that's the same, yeah. even though it's credited as a cricket song. Yeah. It's just very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, autograph collecting. Sorry, total rough music. Oh, no. I love music. That's what I like. And and honestly, you can actually tie that into the music thing because a lot of my autographs are musicians. Like, that's my... uh, What's your most coveted? uh, So I have two that are probably the most coveted. That's the... So I have a a full Pink Floyd band autograph with all four four members. Uh, And I also have a full Tragically Hip all band members, including Gord. Those are probably the two, like... those Those are like the big ones. So when you collect um, autographs, is this autographs collecting in the sense that you, like physically got them in person, or some of them are like finding yeah, some, them, or some just hunting them down to try and find them? Um, you know, just having that having that piece of history that you know that somebody's like they've directly been a part of. Um, so like between you know probably a lot of most of most of uh, of what we have are going to be uh, authors and musicians. Um, you know, we've got several. I actually just got a uh, was through a online. Um, rare books and vintage manuscript auction. It's a um, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Ray, Ray Bradbury. New, um, New, uh, New Hampshire guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a, it was, so the, the, the couple that manages him, um, they basically went and they, they self-published 451 copies of the 50 or yeah, 50th anniversary of Fahrenheit 451. Did and they had make Catcher in the Rye too. Uh, no, it was uh, Salinger. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. JD Salinger. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, but then they also went through and they contracted Ralph Steadman to do artwork for 451. And Ralph Steadman was Hunter S. Thompson's uh, autograph. So Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las, La- in Las Vegas, uh, Fear and Loathing on the campaign trail. He was like legendary for the whole Gonzo journalism thing. Okay. Um, so Ralph Steadman did all these really crazy, crazy weird art. Uh, for for Hunter during the 60s and 70s into the 80s, um, and they actually contracted him to do the artwork for 451. And of these 451 copies they published, they had all of them autographed by Ray Bradbury and Ralph Steadman. All together. So yeah, so they it's it's so now I have this copy of Fahrenheit 451 that is both Ralph Steadman and Ray Bradbury autographed. Uh, the one I actually just got for my birthday this year uh, from my awesome girlfriend was actually a uh, an autographed Hunter S. Thompson, which are really impossible to find anyone who has them is not getting rid of them so 
trying to find them online, they're upwards of like, most of them are eight to $10,000 easily uh, to try and find any Hunter S. Thompson autographs. So, so um, right there. I mean, obviously, I, uh, Wikipedia always put the signature. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so I actually got a, it was the last book that he published. Um, and so I got an autograph copy of what's that. What's his uh, most famous book? Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is probably the most famous. Okay. Um, the Rum Diaries was also another of his. It's oh, pretty well yep. known. Because um, that I think that actually turned out into a movie. You read a lot of these too? Uh, yeah, I have the whole collection. I've read everything. He's so you're a big reader, also. Yeah, um, but his, I mean, his big thing was that he was actually a, he was a he created this gonzo journalism. Um, so um, the Hell's Angels. Mm-hmm. So he wrote the book The Hell's Angels, uh, and his whole premise of gonzo journalism was really just like subjecting himself to this existence and like putting himself in the story and then writing it from the inside. So, like, for Hell's Angels, when he wrote that, he literally hung out with the Hell's Angels in Los Angeles and just kind of, like, integrated him into them and just hung around with them and got to experience everything they were doing and then wrote this book about it. And, like, Sonny Barger, who was the head of the Hell's Angels, was, like, when he ended found out what Hunter was actually writing, he was, like, furious. Wow. Like, Hunter thought he was going to be killed. Like, it was, like, all this crazy stuff. Um, so Stedman's like, still alive. Oh yeah. Stedman? Yep. I also, yeah, I have a, I actually have a, uh, autograph print of his and then the Ray Bradbury book. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a crazy, he actually does all the artwork for uh, it's flying dog brewery out of, uh, Delaware. What's uh, what's your favorite author? Uh, Hunter S Thompson probably. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've got every, every book he's ever published, all of his letters. Um, I think my next thing now is trying to go and hunt out, hunt down some of the original Rolling Stone magazines because he was actually not like he would help. He really kind of helped launch Rolling Stone um, as a journalist for them. Um, so he actually knew the the, the uh, I can't think of his name now, but the the, fir- the initial editor who started Rolling Stone magazine uh, basically contracted Hunter to run a bu- write a bunch of stuff. So F. Scott um, Fitzgerald, I love The Great Gatsby. I would yep. love to get. I'm sure again. I'm sure you could find it. Yeah, like obviously in Greyport. But, like, you start looking at, I mean, besides, like, the Re- remake, the like, the original the original yeah. autograph. But yeah. we start looking at, at a lot of these, like, I think those would be cool to get. Yeah. I, I don't have a lot of autographs. There's never an autograph collector. I think I have, mm-hmm. like, an Arnold Palmer. Yeah. I think I have, I think, I, I think we ended up getting it at one point. I, my thing with, it's, like, autographs or, like, selfies. Like, one, I find, like, selfies... I don't really take photos of people like, mm-hmm. you know, I think I've done it maybe one time ever. Um, and usually it's just purely for to send to like a buddy yeah. like, yo, look, look, I just met. It's not like something that I, I want. I'm not posting it online. I'm like, but I also don't like to me, I'd much rather if I saw somebody cool, I'd probably be like, it'd be like, oh, it's really cool to meet you. But I don't think I'd be mm-hmm. asking for a photo like even even like athletes or or. You know, like if Tiger Woods walked by me, I'm probably not asking for a photo. Yeah. Like, just like, I'm, I mean, who knows if I'm there, I probably would. But I'm saying, yeah. like, in general, I just be like, it's cool, like, to meet him, you know? Yeah. Or I always had this, like, weird thought that you just, like, show up one day and you're just, like, chilling and, like, I know it's, like, weird. But imagine if you're just, like, sitting, like, I don't know, some random spot that you had mm-hmm. to be. And this, like, well known person that you're, like, a fan of or, or, like, you know, you know, admire kind of sits down and you're just, like, stuck there and you just, like, start shooting the breeze for, like, an hour. Yeah. For no reason, but yeah. I mean, just in the sense that like we're both here, and I'm like, yeah, hey, well. 
Yeah, and he's like, I'm waiting for whatever. And like, yeah, you're at an airport or something, for instance. Yeah, and they're just like they sitting just there waiting to be for the flight. The same flight. And, yeah, and they're just like open and they just start talking. Like, I yeah. just talked to him for an hour. Like, I want to need an autograph. I want to need a photo. Yeah. I'm like, I have the story. Like, you would G love. Like, I just yeah. had the story. I talked to him. Like, that's cool. Yep. And, I don't, and I, I'm the same way. Like, I would appreciate that interaction yeah. more than like the, the, the part of it. The experience would definitely outweigh any like you know, physical thing that came out of it. Absolutely. Like I, I have some autographs, like when I was a kid, like I randomly got Charles Barkley's autograph at a, mm-hmm. at a PGA tournament event. And there's some other stuff like that, but overall, uh, but I would say like, if this is like, that would be cool. I do like F, uh, F yeah. Scott Fitzgerald. I think uh, the only author I have, um, I'm a big Ryan holiday fan. He mm-hmm. does like a lot of the daily stoic and like, yeah. you know, Eagles the way or enemy. Um, all that kind of stuff. So a couple times when I order books, you can get like a signed copy. Mm-hmm. So he'll send it. And, it, and I had a person, I think I got two books for my kids and they, you could personalize them. They didn't put the name, but he put like, uh, like kind of like you said, like everything's gonna be all right. Like kind of yeah. like that. He would write it and then sign it. So I probably have at this point, like three or four of his autographs. Cause I get his mm-hmm. book autographed by him. Just cause I thought yeah. it was cool. It wasn't, I mean, it was like 10 bucks more to order him. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, screw it. Like give me an autograph. But, um, yeah, that that's cool. So look, I didn't really, I didn't know you like the authors, but I yeah. like that. Authors yeah, no. are probably the. Those are things I gravitate towards because I just like get mm-hmm. like knowledge from them, and I find yep. as I read more, I'm like fascinated with just their thinking process and, yeah. the, and their research process. And oh yeah, it's, yeah, and, and hunting down the ones that you know. And I think the autograph thing for me is getting the ones that are the like you can't get or hard to get ones. Those yeah. are the ones that are like. It's like, you know, it's more of a challenge, you know I mean? Like I can go and or, sure I can go and order this book from this guy's website and he's going to send me an autographed copy and that that's cool. But, but like, it's also know. the meaningfulness. Like in my, in my office, I have one autograph. It's Vladimir yep. Guerrero baseball bat. I had Vladimir yep. Guerrero's base uh, autographs when I was a kid, Yep. like in person, I got it. Expos, my favorite yep. player as a kid. And then I should have worn my Expos hat. Oh, uh, massive Expos fan. Favorite, my favorite sports team of all time to yep. this day is still the Expos. Yeah. And if I have not found... They left in 2004. I have not followed baseball since 2004. Yeah. Since 2005, sorry. They, they went to the Nationals. I'm like, I tried. I'm like, I can't do it's this. It's not the same thing. Can't do this. Not like, no, not even fun. No. Um, but then uh, someone I know um, basically said like, listen, I came across this Hall of Fame bat. He signed it at the Hall of Fame. He actually wrote the stuff on it. And there's like a couple like, you know, stray marks on the bat that, yeah. you know, might have just like nipped with the, the thing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know what? Because that that player was meaningful to me as a child yep. and is still my favorite baseball player of all time because he played for the Expos. Mm-hmm. So that's the only one I have where I'm like, hey, we'll get you, you know, a whoever signed Mike Trout. I'm like, I'm good. Like, yeah. I don't really care. Like, yeah. I, he's a, I know he's a good baseball yeah. player, not my time. Even if he said, hey, here's a Derek Jeter autograph, and I always respected the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeter, I might, just because I, he was always my favorite of the Yankees. But still, yeah. I would be like, eh, I'm good. Because there it, it yeah. wasn't as much of a connection where, like, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean that's just something, you know. I think that it ultimately, I got a lot of golfers' autographs going to majors and stuff, but I wouldn't yeah. say I, I got Mike Weir's autograph when he was the in two thousand three when he was mm-hmm. the Masters champion, like the yeah. reigning Masters champion. I got his autograph, which was cool. It was I mean yeah. it wasn't at the Masters, but it was it was at the uh, PGA actually the follow, that following August. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, but it's, it's cool. It's the meaningful thing, you know. It's and, and you know, yeah, it can go. I mean, like, yeah, I'm not interested in like the easy ones that I can go and like just get for whatever reason. Like I want the ones that actually have some, either some connection to me personally or some meaning, you know, as far as that goes. So like, you know, having Hunter S Thompson's like, you know, I'm not going to be able to get that. Like I'm never going to have a chance to sit down and have a conversation with him. So, you know, having like his, something that he's hand autographed, that's awesome. 
Um, you know, Ralph Steadman, same thing. I mean, he's he's still alive, but the chances that I'm ever going to like randomly just meet Ralph Steadman, pretty slim to none. So you know, um, you know, Pink Floyd. I'm not going to ever get their autograph in hand, but they yeah. are my favorite band of all time. Tragically Hip, same thing. You know, they're like, they're, you know, if there's Pink Floyd, my next one right there is right after that's going to be Tragically Hip. So yeah. having like those autographs and those things, um, you know, like I have one that's, um, uh, it's Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, and Steve Buscemi from The Big Lebowski. And it's a photo with the three of them at the bowling lane, and I've got all three of their autographs on it. So, question because I didn't realize how freaking hot it is in here. Are you hot? I'm I'm good. But, Are you? I yeah. am dying. So I don't know what it is. It's never been this hot, but I feel like it's so hot out today that like... It's I, just baking the inside. Yeah. Now I'm like, I should have had a fan in here. It's getting hot. <laughs> okay, last story we're going to tell. Tell me about the ordained Dudas priest. Yeah. So uh, that was really... that. I, I kind of did that whole thing on a whim. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Big Lebowski. Uh, like the concepts of Dudism to me, it's just... You know, it's basically the whole premise is just live and let live. Like... You know, treat people like a human being, let them do what they, you know, as long as they're not hurting you, why bother hurting them? Yeah. Like that, that, that to me is like, that's what we should be doing. Um, and my friend years and years ago was talking about, he's like, oh, you know, someday I might get married. And he's like, it'd be awesome if you could do the ceremony. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'm like, I know you can go online and like, you know, get ordained from whatever weird, you know, churches out there. So, um, then I was like, you know, I kind of knew some ideas about like what dudism was. And I was like, all right, we'll take a look. And, um, so I actually found out, I was like, oh, I can actually be ordained through the, the church of the Latter-day Dude. And I was like, well, that's perfect. So uh, I actually went through and I did like, you know, you know, it's, I mean, literally you go online, you sign up for it and you're ordained. Like there's, there's literally nothing to it. Um, because again, it's dudist. It's like, dude, just, you know, do your thing, whatever. Um, so I went through, got that. Uh, and then years later, actually, so I've never really used it. And then uh, one of my, one of my friends uh, her and her, her fiance at the time were like, Oh, we're now we're looking to get married. And I was like, Oh, well, I'm like, I'm, I'm actually ordained. And they were like, really? And I'm like, yeah. So I actually got to do their wedding. And I was like, well, this is awesome. You know? So I like did the whole wedding, uh, you know, got to actually officially marry them like for New York state. So I'm like, well, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, so I've actually got to do that, but it's one of those ones too, where I look at, and I'm like, you know, it's kind of disappointing that like, there's not, you know, more of that out there. Like I'd love to like start a church uh, you know, and not even a church, just a, a a congregation of like people who are just like down with the whole dudist concept and be like, let's get together. So, you know, because I think that's one of the things that people miss. Like if they leave, if they're in a church and they leave a church, like, you know, I grew up in the church, uh-huh. um, you know, there, there is a sense of community there. And when people leave the church, they tend to like lose that. So I think like having some, you know, an, an, uh, something like that where you can have that sense of community, but without all of the other, you know, stuff that goes with it. Um, I won't, I won't get into the political, religious and philosophy discussions that I have on organized religion, but, you know, being able to create something with that sense of community that doesn't have a lot of other connotations to it other than just like, Hey, you know, treat people decent and do what you're going to do. Yeah. That first, there's a great cast here. Oh, it's it's Um, unbelievable. It's like you're going through it. I'm like, yeah, that's like who's who back basically at that time period. Some of those are still very active. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, they, I used to go to church and then I kind of, as I got older, I was like, I got away from like the organized part of it. And I just mm-hmm. was the same thing, like, like golden rule, just treat people you want the way you want to be treated. Like, I, yeah. and I'm like, I feel like you can boil most things down to that because yeah. then it just puts things like an equal playing field. And I think as long as you're just kind of like a good person, you can have faith and you can have all the stuff. But I think yeah. like my, my view is always, you know, 
just be a good person and kind of like, yeah. you know, just like, and, I, and I'm not one, like, if, and I think organized religions are totally great if it's a sense of community or sense of mm-hmm. purpose or whatever. Absolutely. There's, but again, it's like anything else. Like, There's some things that they have to offer. Yeah. And it's like, you could say, well, I really like joining a bunch of people at a Pink Floyd concert. And those are like my people. I'm like, you know what? That's like yeah. your community, your church. Go, go to a gym, go to a brewery. Mm-hmm. Like, those are your people. So yeah. um, totally fine. I, I do think community is a uh, very good yep. thing for social creatures so i think yeah. we need community um okay let's wrap this up because i am i sweat <laughs> more than i should and i'm like i need air that's right surprising because i'm like i'm usually the okay. one that's like that i'm like oh. usually the horrible one or i'm, I'm like, sitting there talking I'm like casey must be ready to just be like dude let's get out of here no I feel, I'm, I'm and i'm usually like uh i don't know if you I'm ever good. watch like brooklyn 99 i have it's no. like oh man there's there, there's a scene one of the guys is like one of the really big cops and they're like they get tied up and they were like, so they make him really nervous and he ends up, he like gets it. He's like duct taped and he gets out and he's like, the tape doesn't stick because I'm so juicy. I'm like, that's how I feel <laughs> that's, most of the time. I, yeah. I, I sweat more than a normal person should. So, all right. We're going to wrap it up there. Casey, this was fun. Yeah. As always. It was um, a blast. We'll see each other pretty soon, both concerts and golf. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got uh, two weeks, three weeks. I haven't played yeah, much like, golf this yeah, year. but Two weeks, I think. Yeah. It'll be fun. It'll be a yeah. fun day. Um, all right. We're going to wrap up there. 239, Gail and Trombley Show. We're out. Thank you for listening to The Galen Trombley Show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on all social platforms at Galen Trombley. Thanks for listening.